Yeah, I mean, this this applies to any creative work, be it painting, software mm-hmm. development, or okay, web page design, anything where creativity is required. If the author or the artist or whatever we want to want to call them aren't passionate, it's it is gonna show. Scott can edit this out. Hashtag common theme here on the posse. <laughs> yeah, all all forty seven of your completion. <laughs> Whoever designed canopies needs to get kicked in the teeth because it's stupid. <laughs> I was more impressed when you said you're building it. Oh, calm down now. I haven't started yet. I, I, I should say future tense when I build it. Yeah, Jensen, that's a future John Bonani future problem. Future JV right? problem. Future JV yeah. problem. Come on, man. It's on the bench. It's just still in the box on the bench. It's actually kind of dusty. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> like, right. Give me a yeehaw from that strike. After you lift that striker wheel on top. Yeah, let me get my man muscles ready. Delete that part, Scott. <laughs> TJ's a renaissance man. I mean, he's the he's the steam fitter that has tattoos, but he's also like our grammar marshal. That was fun. That was, that was a good day. <laughs> Just want my roast beef, curly, curly fries. fries. <laughs> He said it so loudly. He did. He did. He did not use his inside voice. Are we ready? Send it. Right, listeners, welcome to episode 62 of the Plastic Posse podcast. I'm JB, and I'm here with four of my lovely co-hosts. We have Scott in Utah, TJ in DC, Grant out in California, and Jensen Taylor from the great country of England. How are y'all doing tonight? Absolutely fantastic. Oh, lovely. I'll go around the room. Scott, what's up in your neck of the woods? Just uh, having fun modeling, uh, still still working away at that TACOM uh, Panzer one, and all of a sudden, in the last week, all the BJ DeBecker over at Panzer Concepts and a couple other people are dropping STL files of replacement wheels. So I've been, I think I've got a solution, and I'll said, "Oh, this looks even better." So been doing that. Last night, shout out to a local club, uh, Great Basin Amps, went there, and uh, people seemed to like uh, the Panzer one and had a good time. You know, Martin Drayton, our good friend, was there as as well as uh, a bunch of other good friends as well. So just had a had a great time at that meeting. Yeah, your Panzer one's looking great, and like you said, I think the mother load dropped this week on cults with a bunch of people. Um, great timing because Scott, you know, you took the time to sand or fill and sand the. St- the ejector pin marks on the wheels. You bought a set from Spain for wheels, and now you have prints from BJ as well. Yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, if anyone out there is interested, FC Model Trends uh, would not recommend their replacement wheels um, uh, for those. The uh, the design was good, but man, the print was awful. I mean, all the hubs were full of uncured resin. Um, the oh. prints were all incomplete. None of the wheels were round and true. 
So yeah, that was disappointing. But BJ's uh, STLs, I printed a plate of them and they're fantastic. Um, really, really good. So if anyone's got a, a 116th scale Panzer one or a 35th scale for that matter, and you need some replacement wheels, uh, recommend those. I think the SCL was what, John, five bucks on Colts? Yeah, it's pretty cheap. And what's nice is they come pre-supported. So that helps out a lot. Yeah, it was great. First first print was perfect. So yeah, really, really liked it. But yeah, it's a fun kit trying to add a lot of uh, different textures and everything so that it doesn't look uh, toy-like, but actually enjoying it a lot more than I thought it was going to when I started. Nice. It's looking really good. So I'm going to continue over across the pond to another person that has a 116th scale tank in their near future. Jensen, how are you this evening? I'm, I'm, I'm really, I've just woke up, so I'm full of energy. Are you um, good? I'm good. <laughs> uh, yeah, really good. Uh, got all sorts going on. New job, new career. So that's something exciting. And new you. To. Yeah, new year, new me, new everything. Yeah, uh, no modeling though. I've not done anything, but it's it's now things are starting to quote unquote get back to normal and some sort of normal life is resuming. Slowly the urge to come back and model is 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 rapidly approaching. Like I said, after after we finish recording, I'm just going to get the the room sorted. I've got like a new cutting mount, you know, from Tank Crafter to, to put on the bench, new glue base holder that I finally have in my hands now. <laughs> took a year. Um, it <laughs> took forever. And then when I, when I got out a few Telford, it's like, still got to wait till January to get it. But yeah, uh, the urge is coming back. At, like say, I've got a 116th FT17. We're all planning on doing at some point. Um, no solid date on that yet. Uh, but again, just, trying to take the modeling in small doses because I can, I know if I come back and try and do everything all at once, I'll burn myself out again. So just little bits and bobs here and there, but yeah, things are good. Things are really good. I, I think it's worth mentioning maybe the kind gesture, a fine gentleman dropped off your load. Yes. Um, <laughs> Luke Carswell from Black Rifle Model Works called, came all the way from the Midlands just to drop my, my Telford hall off, which I said, I was like, you do not need to drive like two hours just to drop some models off. But no, he, he came up. We we exchanged some kits. Uh, we had a nice chat. It was fun. And again, I can't thank him anymore for his generosity, considering like he could have spent that. He's got a new dog. He could have spent the time at home and he goes back to work soon. So he, of all the things he could have done, that wouldn't have been what I would have done in my day off. But yeah, super nice guy. So I thank him a lot for that. Can anybody here go for a hamburger right now? Oh, I'm starving. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a snuggie it's, you have on? It's it's pra- it's a bl- it's a blanket with sleeves and a hood. Don't mock me. The viewers that, can't see that, me. With, with cheeseburgers and cheeseburgers. Yeah, yeah cheeseburgers. I thought I thought this was a safe space where we didn't have to wear clothes. <laughs> evidently, evidently, <laughs> it is not. You dress for the job you want, not the one you have. Exactly. <laughs> Cheese cheeseburger snuggies, man. It's all the in paradise. It's the future. Oh man, never sacrifice comfort for looks. Never. <laughs> Going back across the pond to the opposite side of the country. Grant, how are you out in California? Staying dry? Uh, no, <laughs> we've had a lot of rain out here. It's been beautiful though. Uh, our drought's almost over, which is a great thing. So I've been working on some figures. I just finished up a 75 millimeter uh, model seller union officer, which turned out really pretty good. I think um, first scale that sucked out for me for a long time. Trying to get some stuff done for uh, Seattle coming up. Um, I don't want to bring the same old stuff. I want to bring some some of the old stuff, but some new stuff. Other than that, you know, I'm looking forward to a weekend of not working and, uh, you know, taking it easy and working on models and, you know, having hamburgers and Snuggies. Very nice. Very nice. And certainly 
last but not least, TJ, how's it going over in DC? Oh, it's going pretty good. Getting a fair amount of modeling done these days, which is nice considering I'm not I'm not home uh, most of the week. Uh, I think since the last time we recorded, I finished up the 155 millimeter C17S. Um, it was really cool. I really liked it. Um, if, I'm sure some of the listeners saw it on Facebook. It's got that weird French tricolor scheme with the black outlines. Even though it was an American gun, we um, used their equipment in the war. So it was it was really fun. I, I, I really liked it. Uh, I love modeling artillery. It's one of the coolest subjects of model. And uh, it's World War One, which I know we talked about last episode. And since then, I've been cracking away at uh, Meng's full interior of Renault FT. Um, I closed up the sides on it today. It was a little bittersweet because I really liked how everything turned out on the inside and you'll never see it again. Some of it you can. Um, you can see like some of the engine and the radiator, but you can't see any of the transmission, the fuel tank, I- any of that kind of stuff. Um, and you can see in the crew compartment, which is cool. Um, I really like it. I've taken a million pictures of it. Probably want to write an article about it. Yeah, it's really cool. I, Again, I, I think I've mentioned it more than once. I don't like full interior kits. I think they're mostly pointless. Um, this kit's no different than that. It is mostly pointless to do the interior, but man, it's such a cool little vehicle. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just one of those things when you, you know, if you like armored vehicles, like it, it all goes back to the, to the FT. It's the great, great grandfather of every main battle tank on, you know, on the field today. You know, it's one of the most revolutionary designs in armored warfare. So yeah, it's just a cool little, little tank. So. Well, I was about to say, what I love about the fact that you've gone to all this effort and you say you're doing a full interior and you might not see half the stuff, but like you say, it's a full interior. You are including the stuff you won't see, like an actual full interior, not a partial interior. You even included the engine, all the stuff you won't see. I mean, that's that's a true modeler right there. Like, so power to you. Well, I mean, if you're going to do a full interior kit, you have to do the full interior. Yeah, so you know? You'd think so, wouldn't you? you you think so. Yeah. I mean, anyone that thinks that is kind of a fool, really. I mean, uh, to put it bluntly, it's this is a partial interior. <laughs> and that's fine. If you're in, if you're into partial interiors, knock yourself out. But I mean, come on, I think man. We, all we ask is just don't lie to yourself and don't lie to everyone who knows you. Yeah, it's really interesting. Our good friend Jackson building a partial interior Sherman. You know, it's uh, it's great talking to me. Great work. Great partial interior. Oh, he's going to knock it out of the park. But um, yeah, he's going to have to, in his brag book, it's going to have to be listed as partial interior. John, is there a category for partial interior builds? They might have to split it because I, I know Jackson builds a lot of them. So <laughs> what, what were you going to say, Scott? Yeah, I'm just, I'm really glad that you photographed your build because like you said, it's almost a shame to to button that thing up. I really liked, um, I mean, you added the detail with the pipe and the the spark plug wires, uh, but your paintwork was really good. Really glad you photographed it because uh, the work is stellar. Oh, thanks. I mean, so I, I kind of took, I wouldn't necessarily say a different approach. I don't, I don't think it's a secret that I am an impatient modeler. I think anyone that knows me or is listening to me talk about my modeling knows I don't, I don't waste time on stupidness <laughs> and, and stuff that doesn't matter. I don't know. For this build in particular, I touched every single thing in that interior, that full interior. Like I normally don't like, I'll skip a lot of stuff because I'm like, who cares? It doesn't matter. But if you look at the really, really good modelers, which yeah, we all I'm sure would like to be, you know, they take each piece and they work on it. Like it's the only piece of the model. 
you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to say I treated each piece as an individual model because that's a little, that's a little rich for something that literally fits in the palm of your hand. But I just made sure that like everything had something going on, right? There's nothing that's just one color, even the fuel tank, which you literally can't see. You can't see that at all. I made sure it would look like a fuel tank. It's dirty. It's got fuel stains on it. You'll never see it. I have a picture of it. So I guess you will kind of see it, but you'll never see it on the model. There's no hatch that that actually opens that allows you to see it. That's just a different approach, man. Normally don't do that because I'd rather just get a model done because I think finishing models is more important than a lot of other things. Sometimes that's to me how you get better by doing it instead of thinking about getting better. You just do it to get better. But yeah. Well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. Also, I also didn't mention the leather seat pad. I mean, just really, really good. Steve Baker said the same thing, and it's not hard. It's like literally like three colors of one Games Workshop contrast paint and then like two Vallejo colors. That's it. It's really not that hard. And I'm not just saying that to to be dismissive. Like it literally takes like that took me literally, I don't know, three minutes as long as it took the paint to dry. The the part that took the longest was letting the contrast paint dry because it doesn't dry that fast. After that, it was like sponging some stuff on, doing different stuff like that, and boom, you're done. Especially on a piece like that where you're not really going to see it front and center. Like it, maybe if it was a little more exposed, I would probably spend a little more time on it. But that like is fine for what it is. That's as good as I think some a piece like that needs to be. That's the trick, though. It's snake bite leather contrast paint. It's it is so good. It's like the perfect leather color. I was going to say, Scott. He's already a host. You don't have to butter him up anymore. <laughs> He's already on contract. I, I, I just like, I just Jeez, like, oh man, I just he like just signed an FT, extension. <laughs> Good Lord. Jesus. <laughs> just waiting for that check in the mail. No, I just, I just liked it. I think it was really good. No, I mean, in all seriousness, that seat pad looked great. If it only took three minutes, well, that's even better. That's, you know, bonus points for TJ. So <laughs> just wait for the tracks. Oh yeah. There yeah. you yeah. go. <laughs> I got a lot to live up for. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's why I haven't built another whippet. I don't think I could ever I don't think I can replicate those tracks. Well, I, I think it's it, it, it looks great. And it, you know, the, the quality of it is just fantastic. But it also speaks to the quality of the kit too. I mean, um, that kit is nice. The interior sections and they come with everything like that. The detail in those engines is fantastic. And you you nailed it. So the main kit as far as i can tell based on and i've so i've seen a renault well i think it's actually an m 1917 which is the american version of of the ft it's a little bit different but it's more or less the same i've seen one of those or i've seen more than one in person but so based on what i can tell the menket is extremely accurate especially with the engine the only thing that's missing is there is a tube that's mounted to the pipe that goes to the radiator that holds the spark plug wires they give you the bracket in the tacom 116th gets the same way they give you the bracket but there's no tube and obviously there's no wires so i just used a piece of i think it's 0.04 aluminum tube from albion alloys i cut to the length and glued it on there and ran some string through it and it was good nice and i think that this is a really great lead into our first discussion topic and it really is um you know whoa, you kind of whoa 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 no, what? I don't think so. What? Uh, one of one of the group hasn't really <laughs> told us what he's been up to and, you know, what he's been working on. So uh, 
Let's back up there, Sparky. Jeez. Um, I I have struggled to get some bench time in the last two weeks, but when I have, um, I've been working mainly on two projects. The big TACOM 150-ton uh, OI from uh, the Japanese. I wouldn't say it's a what-if because apparently it did some trials, but there's only you know circumstantial evidence of its existence on paper. Uh, no photographs outside of that, but it's a cool kit. It's big. Uh, it's a beast, and I'm going to do it as a what if captured Marine Corps sure uh, Marine Corps vehicle. And special shout out to iBones Models, uh, Ian Bonner. He sent me a Marine Corps figure from Panzer Art, so he's leaning up against uh, you know it could be a building, it could be a Sherman. You know, the OI is about as big as a building, so it'll be standing next to that on a base. So it's a, it's a cool kit. Um, I hope to I hope to have it finished very soon. It's on its last leg. I went through the rust speckling and some other weathering effects, and now it's just getting the mud and dust on it. And then the other project I've worked on, um, just because I don't have enough in-progress things, I started and I'm nearly complete on the construction phase of Amusing Hobbies AMX-50B, uh, popular popularized by World of Tanks. I think four of them were made. One still exists at some more. It's a friggin' beast. It, uh, it's, it's huge. Uh, obviously, uh, 50, I think stands for, you know, 50 tons and it's, it's bigger than a King Tiger. I have it next to the Sherman and it, the Sherman, the Sherman is like a chill, a child next to it. It's massive. Uh, and the gun is super long too, but it's such an interesting vehicle popularized by the, you know, war thunder world of tanks. I guess I'm kind of in that mood now where I'm just building whatever that floats my boat and kind of gets to our second topic tonight. Um, but yeah, it's great kit, highly recommended. I only did a few upgrades that were, you know, self-inflicted, I guess you could say, but you don't need to, um, but it's, it's a super nice kit and I hope to have it painted soon. The question is what scheme I'm going to do. But yeah, that's what's on my bench. Well, it seems like our guest that's coming up a little later in the show, I think he had some things to say about that. So we'll let everybody stick around to hear that. Yeah. And speaking of our guests, so first time introducing them, Martin Kovac, Night Shift. He will be our special guest tonight. Scott and I with uh, Jackson, a, a frequenter of the pod, sat down with him at a lengthy discussion. And it really ties into our first discussion topic tonight I'd like to have with my co-hosts. And it's really around love your work. And we always say, don't fall in love with your work, but you should love your work. And, and I think it's exemplified by the conversation TJ just had talking about the howitzer, this FT. You can really see the true passion in the subject, in modeling. And I believe, and this is what we're going to talk about, I think that shows through work. I think when you build a subject that you're potentially not committed to, you run into issues, you're just not having fun. And I think, I believe that that influences the end result. You can really see it when a project's forced. So I'll just start off with an example. You know, as I look back in 2022, uh, you know, one of my favorite pieces was the Stug. And it was a project that I thought I was going to slam and get through, but it ended up taking a little bit longer. But I was really pleased with the result. And I loved the finish. I loved, I loved everything about it. And I really loved working on it, despite its size and scale and complexity in some regard. And just a lot of painting. I feel like I still have carpal tunnel from it, but I enjoyed it. And I see the same with a few projects now. Conversely, there are a few projects I completed where I'm just like, this is not my style. It's not my finish. It's not my pedigree. And some of those, I built a uh, bolt action 38T. 
I'm not, you don't see a lot of pictures from it because it's, it's going to be published, but also I'm just not proud of that work. Um, the same can be said for my Sherman Butte Panzer for the group build. And man, I really got to stop signing up for group builds because even though I love the Sherman, that instant, you know, being committed to something really just sucks the fun out of it. And the same can be said for some of the current projects I have for publication or for a group build. Like, even though I love the subject, I love the kit, it just, it's not fun. And it really affects, I believe, the finish of the model. And I'd love to go around the room and have you gentlemen talk about examples of the good and the bad, potentially the ugly, because I have some of those. And I, you know, I'll, I'll just start off. We'll go, we'll go across the pond to Jensen to talk about this. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear his thoughts because I know you've published before a lot. You've committed yourself to things, but then you have your passion projects uh, mm-hmm. like Desolate. Yeah. Uh, I kind of agree with pretty much everything you've said. You, you can tell when there's a project you absolutely love uh, and you have passion for because usually you'll get through it within, with good time because you're eager to get back to it. For me, it's evident when I've got a project that I'm not loving because it just won't get done and I'll find any excuse to not work on it bit like the Meng Jumbo at the minute. Projects I have loved, I think, have been evident, like the the Model T ambulance vignette. That got done in pretty good time. I love the finish. Desolate. Granted, there was a bit of a delay between actually finishing the, the Mac kit and the scene. But again, once I'd got on the roll with that, flew, uh, I flew straight through it, fell in love with it. Like I say, don't fall in love with your work, but love your work. I do love the work. Quite a few of my vignettes, I love them. So projects that you really love and it, obviously the love comes from the enjoyment of doing it and working on the project and sometimes finding new challenges and new techniques and all this stuff along the way yeah it clearly shows in the finish and and what you present to the world when say you post these online or when they go to a magazine and the feedback you get it's it's a weird one because usually we we shouldn't build stuff unless we really want to do it and sometimes you can start a project like i love this subject i love the manufacturer i know the scheme i'm going to do it's going to be amazing and then like a couple of days into build, you think, I have no love for this. Like this jumbo I'm building, absolutely love the jumbo. It is an awesome tank. But for some reason, and I don't know what it is, I, there's just no love there for it. I'll get back to it. The, the love might come back, but really love the paint finish. Don't get me wrong. I love the finish I've got for the paint, but the actual project itself, there's no love there. So I'm not going to force the issue. Like you mentioned, I, I think when you force it, it shows in the finish or you just don't finish at all. And then you kind of become resentful of the project. But uh, yeah, kind of just everything you said is when you when you love a project or you have the passion for it, it just, it just reflects and you don't intend for it to. It just, you can show, it shows the love that you've had for it. That's what I think. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. Desolate, great example. I and, and to be honest, I forgot about the ambulance. That's another good one where even though it was for publication, I think it was um, probably a passion for publication in that regard, where it was like the pinnacle, like I love the finish and then damn man, it gets the cover. So it's like icing on the cake all throughout the you know build, paint, finish, publish. And it's just such a good feeling where you say on the other end, I, I hate to bring it up, but the Tomcats, you know, but it- I, I only bring it up because yeah. I respect you a lot for this. You know, most people, they'll take a commission build and they're very proud of that. You know, a client, people love saying client and hey, you know what? More power to you. But it does, it does sometimes suck the life out of you. And I think it's really important. And I respect you a lot for recognizing that and separating yourself from it and getting back to the joy of the hobby and not being confined uh, to a deadline, to a subject, to to a certain way. Because I, I mean, I've even heard like, oh, I want it done this way. 
in terms of technique and it's like, oh, it's counter style. And it, I, I, again, it might be a sour subject with you, but I think it's a, it's a great, I think it's a great moment for you to reflect on and, and be proud of because you, you recognized it and you're like, you know what? I'm going to be happy new year, new you, man. So if, yeah. So um, I, I think it's a good example. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, yeah. Um, slightly going off subject of commissions, people might love the idea of them. It's like, oh, I'm getting paid to model. It's not as simple as that. Um, it, it, it simply isn't a case of build what you want and I'll pay you for it. It's just not. You, you've got very specific. It's going to be subjects that you probably really do not like. I'm not a fan of the F14. And yeah, those those. it got to a stage where I was thinking, I cannot work on these. I'm not going to fight. I just can't do it. <laughs> there was nothing of everything I had to do when I was working at the time. I was like, I would rather go and do my 10 hour shift, then come to this bench and work on this right now. I'd rather earn the, earn the money that doing that. Um, yeah. And I think like you say, recognizing, recognizing what isn't enjoyable for you is very important for your mental health and the enjoyment of the hobby, because don't bog yourself down with commitments. And even if you've committed, you, you can, you can change your mind. Some people are okay with that and but some people aren't, uh, but just, just set out what your intentions are or, or how you're feeling. Yeah. Just do, just do what makes you happy. Simple as that. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm going to segue over to TJ. I think I've seen a lot of passion in your projects lately, but I, I'm certainly remembering a few that probably you, you didn't enjoy so much, but maybe just expand on, on some that you've loved lately and maybe others that, you know, you've, you've just grinded through. Well, I think the, the, the king of, of projects that I've loved was the composite Sherman uh, last chance probably some of my best work. I love that thing. Jackson has it. And um, sometimes I miss it. Actually, I miss it a lot, but uh, Jackson's pretty great. So he deserves it. And um, yeah, I, that one was, see, that one was kind of weird because it was, it was stressful. I wasn't building under a, t- a time crunch, but you know, <laughs> I was reporting to the owner of Asuka while I was building that. And uh, that's, that's kind of stressful because um, it's their new kit and uh, I'm building it for essentially for them. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I love that build so much and I poured everything I, I could into. I love Sherman's anyways. And I like Pacific Sherman's, which that one was Yeah, in world war one subjects. I mean, I've mentioned it already. It's my favorite era of armor to model as much as I love Sherman's and big modern tanks and all that stuff. But um, yeah, the, the great war is, it, it's a endlessly fascinating time period and the tanks are just so damn cool because they're so they both make sense and at the same time are ridiculous right you, you look like a rhomboid tank it doesn't it, it looks ridiculous but when you think about why they did it like oh well that makes sense and um seeing that in in scale is is fun and it really just like it gets me going it, i get extremely passionate over that kind of stuff i'm kind of curious what you think um i didn't like so much now you're gonna put me on the spot. I just had it in my mind. I mean, there's been several where you're like, I just don't give a. F-. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying that's, to remember. That's pretty. That's pretty common. I'm for trying me. to remember which one it was. I had it in my mind, and I was just gonna look it up. It's hard to. He finishes like 50 a year, so you. Need I know to that's that's, that's what I'm struggling about. <laughs> I've, I've okay. So I feel like the yak, I felt like you lost a little momentum there and. Oh yeah. I threw the towel. And that was yeah. So like that, yeah, that's the perfect example. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. the one I was thinking of. Yeah. I mean, look, I like, I like the yak. I mean, I screwed up the, the canopy because canopies are dumb. Yeah. I was so, I was really into that project too. And then I was like, I just got to get this damn thing done. Right. You I lost mean, love whatever. of it. Right. Yeah. 
I built it. I finished it. It's in the it's in the case. I've taken it to one show. It didn't win anything, of course, because of the canopy. Because again, canopies are dumb. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's. I mean, I can go look at my crap that I haven't finished yet. You know, stuff that I've just. Is it what you know? There is one one build that I did that I was not into, but then actually turned out really good. And it's uh, the Austin armored car. But with a caveat that I was into it, I am interested in it. It's a World War One armored car, so it's all automatically great. But that was built for publication, and like you were saying, like <laughs> it's essentially a commission build, right? I got to pick a hand out of a handful of things. I chose that one, so I did get to choose it. But I was super into it when I first opened it, and then I just lost it. And I was like, I just rather literally do anything else than build this damn thing. <laughs> The person I built it for, I think, emailed me more than once asking, hey, you know, nicely, but hey, when's it going to be done? And I was like, look, I... I don't know. I, I'm trying what it super understanding, but I'm sure, you know, he wanted to get it out there and I don't blame him because that's his job. So I, f- I finally got it done and I've just, I literally pushed through it through like a weekend. I slammed it. It went from, I don't even think being built like on a, it wasn't even done being built like on a Friday night. I finished it and then it was done by Sunday night and I wrote the article for it and it's actually really good. I love that. It turned out great. It's dusty, which I, typically don't do very well but this one turned out pretty good it's won a couple of awards so that's cool it's it's been published so that's cool uh it was free so it's even cooler yeah that's that's really the only one where i was kind of like forced to do something and just didn't like doing it but then at the end it was okay so grant coming over to you mr figure painter tell us everything uh Uh, well, you know, I, you hit spot on, like Sir Jensen said, but I do want to contradict uh, Sir Jen- or Mr. Jensen on one, one thing. When I'm really in love with a project, it actually takes me longer because I'm focusing so much more on it. So I do go a little bit slower and I do find extra time to work on it. So some people speed up because it's, it's what they want to do. They're happy about it. I kind of slow down a little bit because I'm at that where I want to keep building it because I love the project or I love the subject. For... Uh, my likes this year, I like, I keep on, it's been mentioned a thousand times, but uh, my Manos bust that my friend Scott has was probably my favorite. And that, that, it started out as just a, I tried to print something large in 3D and then it ended up being something I fell in love with as I worked on it, which was a fun build, you know, stuff like that. I'm one of those guys that that when you're building, I, I, I dive deep into a subject. So I'm reading all the time. I'm reading about it. I'm reading, you know, and I'm trying to do a thousand things. And, uh, Sometimes that that screws me up because I, I overthink it and I'll push myself away from the project. And I have to really watch myself when I do that because I, I don't want to do that, especially subjects that I love as figures, um, Civil War, Warhammer, all kinds of figures, fantasy figures mostly and stuff like that. So I have to really watch myself that I don't push so hard that I push myself away. Figures I or things I've done that that were hard and I, I'm still working on, I guess, would be one is uh, I'm doing a T54 US Super Heavy from Dragon or Black Label. And if you like Dragon, I'm going to ruin your day. I hate that kit. I literally hate that kit. Uh, that kit, you know, the road wheels, there's no, you can't get them straight. I've, I've made a jig and I've tried everything to get those things straight. Can't do it. Tracks are crud. There is such gaps in that vehicle that I spent probably half a can of a putty just trying to fix gaps. I'm still working on it. I really am. But it's one of those projects where I just, I don't know why I'm doing it anymore. And I, I think I should take, you know, a page out of Jensen's lifestyle right now and say, you know, I'm done with it. Push it away. Just do something you love and, and go on from there. But, you know, you got to push sometimes. You're, you got to do some things you don't like. 
it, it'll make you better. You know, sometimes you do things that you don't like to end up being fantastic. You know, like TJ was saying, one of the things he did is that the car, you know, he thought he got it through in a week, you know, a week and it's been published and all these other things. Commissions, commissions are hard. I've done a lot of, not a lot, but I've done some commissions, painted a couple armies for people. It's super hard. It really is. It'll drain you really quick because like you guys said, it's, you're not doing it for yourself. People are giving Lots of times I've had people, I want this color scheme, this style, this, 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 this. And it's like, it's really hard for someone to work on a subject, but it's not your subject or something you don't like or something color scheme you don't like. It's like someone gives you a Sherman tank and says, I want this to be painted red and it has to be this kind of red and it has to this. And you're like, oh God, why? You know, and so you start questioning it. And that's why I won't. I don't like commissions anymore either. So that's my idea. I mean, that's what I think. Um, I love the subject. The, the discussion question is great because you can't fall in love with your stuff. If you fall in love with it, you're in trouble. You really, really are in trouble. You can love it. We all love what we do, but don't fall in love with it. Yeah, I, that's my opinion. No, that's a great point, Grant. And and I think a common thread among a lot of us is that commission aspect of makes you fall out of love with things and, and get away from the true fun of the hobby. And you know, to round off this discussion, I. I'd love to kick it over to Scott. Yeah, I think in general, I'm, I mean, like the most of you, I agree with what you guys are saying. I think for me, a lot of it comes down to perspective and the, you know, I'd, far be it for me to tell anybody else how to enjoy their hobby. You know, we all do things a little bit differently and for different reasons. And I think that's great, but the hobby should be fun. We all have jobs. We all have things that in our lives that we don't do for fun. And so, you know, the, the hobby should be a bit of an escape, but, you know, a bit of time where you can, you know, sit down and get lost in something that, that helps uh, kind of make your day or your week better. And so, you know, starting with that, I think if you if you love a if you have maybe you know we've kind of tripped over this love word I think because of some of our previous topics but if you have passion for a project I think that when you run into an obstacle if you have passion for it you're going to find a reason to overcome that obstacle TJ mentioned earlier you know that a lot of really really good builders will treat each individual part or assembly of a model as a separate model and they'll put that much passion and energy into it. Conversely, if you don't have that same passion for the subject, you're either going to live with it as is, or you're just going to kind of find a way to kind of band-aid it and move on because you just want to get it done. So I think maybe, you know, the end result still may be good and you might be the only one who can see it. But I think when you go back and you look at that build later on, like, you know, back to John's original topic, you know, he says, if you don't have that passion, it shows. Uh, I think a lot of people that look at your work might not even know that, but you're going to see that every time. You're going to look in there and you're going to see the pain or you're going to see where maybe you compromise because you just wanted to get it through. So I guess for me, if you've got the passion for it, then that makes it so much easier to just stick through it, tackle those tough, tough obstacles, tackle the curveballs the project throws you. And then at the end, you know, a few years down the line, when you're looking at it in your, in your model case or whatever, you'll be like, yeah, I really, I really like that. You know, Jensen looks at that ambulance you know, that Model T, I'm, yeah, I really, I really like how that turned out or, you know, or TJ's FT or what, you know, whatever, you know, we'll look at those projects and go, yeah, I, I really like that. And I think part of it isn't just the finished product, but it's that we have good memories and good associations of the enjoyment of that project. So yeah, John, I, I guess my answer is, you know, the enjoyment that I'm deriving is as, as important as maybe the quality of the finish. 
No, hundred percent. I think that's a great point. And you know, to close this out, I think listeners, we'd love to hear from you. What are some of your passion projects? What are some of those projects that you loved? You loved the work. And I think going back to what Jensen said and really renaming this segment, it's love the work. And then what we've always stressed before, uh, you know, don't fall in love with your work. You know, there's I think there's a fine line there, but it's it's a really it's a really important one. Uh, love the work, love what you do, and it's going to show in the finished product. So we'd love to see on both sides. If you have a project that you just absolutely loved and and found enjoyment every step of the way and love the result, please share it. And in the on and on the other side too, I'd encourage it as well. You know, call out something that you struggled with um, and and share it. Maybe it'll help uh, soothe that that wound and and maybe maybe change your opinion on the matter. But uh, we'd love to hear from our listeners, bottom line. And I think this topic is a really great tie into some of the conversations we get with uh, your favorite uncle Night Shift soon. So with that, we're going to pause this segment. I'm going to kick it over to TJ to talk about the Mac group build. But before we go there, here's an ad from our sponsors. The Triple P Mac Group Build is sponsored by Bases by Bill. Bases by Bill specializes in making beautifully crafted wooden custom display solutions for scale models. Built by modelers for modelers, these premium quality display cases and innovative base designs are available for just about any model and size. Their custom sized display bases ranging from 4 to 30 inches provide the perfect foundation for dioramas and vignettes. And remember, if you don't see what you need, just ask. Chances are they can customize the perfect solution for you. Check out basesbybill.com and see their new custom display products for busts and figures. Use the code POSSE15 at checkout to apply a 15% listener discount to your order. Bases by Bill for all your model display needs. All right. So taking a look over at the uh, Mac group build, it's going pretty good. My current build for the group build is the Nutcracker. It's been painted olive drab. It's kind of staying there. I know we talked about it last episode. I'm kind of letting it marinate for a while and just kind of doing other things like we've already discussed. But as far as some other work going on, uh, there's some good stuff. So, I mean, we got to start with Cliff Herring and his awesome Mark 44. He had a little snafu with um, nicking a piece out of it with his his cutters, but he fixed it. If it was me, I wouldn't have even fixed it because that's, <laughs> that's just how I roll. But his attention to detail is insane. And it's um tip of the hat to him because a lot of people either would have just ignored it or given up because of something like that. But he he pushed through it and it looks awesome. There's a Falk being built by a guy named Gerald, and it's pretty awesome. It's like tan with natural metal panels on it, and it, it's pretty freaking sweet. And if we're gonna talk about Falks, we already mentioned Luke. He posted his and I told him, and this was no BS either. Like that's getting saved in the reference photos for inspiration because it's like a dark grayish kind of black um, with like a maroon red and stripy um, camouflage with a skull on it. And it's friggin' dope. Uh, those colors work really well together. And that's a color combination I have not considered. And I think I'm going to have to steal it. I'm probably not going to put it on a phallic, but I'm going to put it on something. It's pretty sharp. He did oh, a great it's awesome. Job. The dust on it's great. I mean, it's it's a good build um i love it well like i said that one got saved um and into the inspiration folder (laughs) lynn young is working on i'm not exactly sure which one it is it's one of the flying ones i don't know if it's the hornet or i can't remember the other one is i have one too um but he is turning into like a anti-grav version so he's i think normally there's rocket bells on the bottom so he removed those and he put on um when they were being designed they were ping pong balls that um 
Co used. That's what's on the bottom of a Falc. They're not actual ping pong balls. That's where they were molded on. So that's kind of what he's done on, on his. It's pretty cool. God bless you. That's a tough kit. Good luck. And I'm sure it's going to turn out pretty good. Well, we're talking about the, uh, you know, the Matt group builds. I know, uh, Grant, you had posted this, but I just wanted to shout out Link uh, getting out of the hospital. I know he's feeling better because we're starting to see model pictures from him again. So it's great to see him not only uh, back and feeling better, but starting to uh, throw some paint on some, some plastic again. Yeah, he's he's doing a lot better. I talked to him today. Uh, he he did put a video out of the uh, Luna Gons he's working on, and uh, it's turned out really good. He's weathering again, and that thing is looking superb. It it really is. And hey, Link, you know we're all really glad you're out there, and the posse has uh, said like thousands of great things about you, and can't wait to hear your hear your voice on the show again. Thanks for that special note, Grant. Now it's time for feedback from some of our favorite listeners. Thank you so much for writing in. We really appreciate the comments. It's extremely motivating. And here's Scott for what they've said. Well, our good friend Doug is under the weather, um, not not feeling well. So uh, we're missing him tonight. So I'm going to step in and try and do uh, our feedback. So our first piece of feedback is uh, from our good friend, Ray Davis. He says, G'day, Triple P crew. Listen to episode 60 and Grant asked the listeners how their 2022 was for model building. So Ray's best moment was getting to attend the Canberra model show. It was the first show that he's ever attended and the models there were absolutely phenomenal. He said it was great to catch up with Craig Everson and then David Goldfinch Ian, and uh, Sam Dwyer from On the Bench. He's excited to get to meet those guys. His Sam's goals- from the book. <laughs> Oh, that the Sam, the Sam, the Sam, Dwyer. Sam Dwyer. Wow. Well, I mean, this feedback is <laughs> wow. You got to meet the Sam. Just kidding you, Sam. Somewhere, somewhere around the world, I'm sure our good friend Sam is gesturing towards his uh, speakers right now. His goals uh, for 2023 are to spend more time at his bench and complete more models than he did in 2022. And he wants to attend uh, the Scale ACT show in Canberra and even the Melbourne Model Expo, which I guess is quite a quite a large show. He says, take care, stay safe and build more models. Uh, kindest regards and respect. So it's good, uh, you guys. It's really good to hear from Ray. He's a longtime uh, listener of the show and supporter. So sounds like he had a great time uh, meeting, meeting friends. Great guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess meeting Sam would be kind of cool me he's all right i guess yeah he's hey ray modeler <laughs> hey ray thanks a lot for the comments you know meeting the sam dwyer is probably it was big for us trust me you know got some books signed and he's so modest it's like me- it was like meeting brad pitt <laughs> it was you know the girls were screaming and underwear was being thrown it was crazy that, but uh that was just, that was, that was just jackson <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that was good. <laughs> that, that was, was good. good one. That, that was a good one. <laughs> That's staying you know, in. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> that was really good. Uh, you know, hey Ray, we only thing we asked is you start showing some, you know, put some pictures up on the thing what you're building. We'd like to see what you're building, and if you have any questions, please reach out to any of us. Um, we're here to help, and uh, you know, keep it up. And it's just really nice to hear from you. Yeah. And, and real quick, Ray, thanks so much. You know, you've been a constant supporter of the pod and we really appreciate all your messages to us. Can't thank you enough. You know, the two shows that you listed are certainly on my list as well. 
I think the Canberra show is one that is not only really great, but it's also by the fantastic Australian War Museum, if I'm not mistaken. D. Sam Dwyer sent some pictures out of the resto facility that he visited, the hangar that had the ME262 and original paint and a few other vehicles. I think a Lank was there or a Shackleton. Uh, bottom line, it was a it was a really cool venue that he shared and certainly an event on our list. So maybe we'll make our way down under one of these days and get you there. Good to hear, good to hear from you, Ray. All right. We've got some feedback from Logan Eden. Send us this feedback from what he calls the flatlands of the Great White North, or as the rest of the world knows it, Saskatchewan, Canada. He said he was just listening to our podcast tonight while at the bench, and he thought he would send us some photos that he took of us from Omaha Nats and says that one of the more surreal experiences he had was listening to us on the way to Omaha for Nats and then getting to meet us in person. Well, we appreciate it, Logan, and uh, people that meet us sometimes use different adjectives than surreal. So, I would agree that it is surreal to meet me because I look in the mirror and think it's surreal to look at me. So I can imagine what someone else thinks. Yeah, no, Logan, thanks so much for the great words. Really appreciate it. It was nice to meet you at Nats. Certainly, uh, certainly a great time. Hopefully we'll see you in Texas. Uh, but if not, you know, if there's ever a show in Saskatchewan, you let us know. We'll be there. All right. We've got feedback from Peter Earhart. He writes in to say, I've been listening to the show for the past few months and I'm almost caught up and I can't thank you guys enough. Your discussions on the effects of the hobby on mental health have really resonated with me as this hobby has really become an escape as I've grown older. I'm 25 now and I've been modeling for about 15 years. While traveling, he also dropped into the hobby town on Mockingbird Road in Dallas and wanted to do a hobby shop shout out. He said he had a great interaction about the hobby with a guy named Andrew, who I guess was uh, quite helpful. They talked about the hobby, techniques, kits, products, you name it. So he just wanted to get the word out to the community. It's a great shop if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he also wants us to keep up the great work on the pod. And lastly, he has a question. He says his primary genre is aircraft, but lately he has also enjoyed armor. He currently has a Tamiya Tiger 1 in progress, and besides all the road wheels, he is absolutely loving it. He's looking to push himself with weathering on it, and since most of his experience is with uh, building aircraft, he wondered what we would recommend as kind of the basic essential products to have on hand for weathering. So uh, let's start with JB and just kind of move around the room. What are a couple of uh, essential items, JB, that we need to get Peter to pick up for his weathering? Yeah, Peter, great question. Thanks so much for writing in. I'm actually looking over at my bench and I have the three products that if you had to buy three products, I would recommend these to start off. I'm going to say MIG Ammo Oil Brushers, three colors, dark brown, starship filth, and dust. I believe you can spend less than $15 on all those three, and that is the basic starting point for weathering. You can do streaking, washes, pin washes, filters, speckling, even chip paint potentially. OPR work. Those three colors are extremely versatile, and honestly, they can cover any type of base coat. If you're going to go for a cooler finish that's maybe like a gray, Panzer gray, I'm saying, or even a desaturated olive drab or a green in that case, you could use Starship Filth with the dust. If you're looking for more warmer hues on the Tiger 2, for instance, that you mentioned, the dark brown, or sorry, you mentioned Tiger 1, any tritonal scheme, oil brush or dark brown as a wash or a filter can also be a great warm tone to give enriched shadows and then also help with the hue of the vehicle, give it that warmer tone. 
but yeah, I, that that's my recommendation. Those three products, you know, oil brushers, I, I think, uh, you know, they get mixed reviews, but I'll be honest, they're one of my favorite products. And when you're thinning them, you can use mineral spirits, which is a little aggressive. You can use odorless enamel thinner from ammo. Uh, you can get that. It, it is a little, it's a little, pri- not pricey, but if you're looking to save a little money uh, and just learn and experiment, I would recommend Turpinoid from Michaels. You can get a coupon offline, go there, buy some Turpinoid. I don't find it that hot and it, it performs really well over an acrylic finish. So those are my top three weathering. I guess you could say that's the essential products I use on every build. I'll yield the floor. TJ, what advice do you have? I mean, I, I agree with John. Those are three of my most used um, weathering products too. If you want to get a little if you want to do like some sort of mud effects and build up volume which if you're doing heavy mud is this you can't just do that with oils um you just the, the volume is not there you can um just use pigments i'm not the biggest fan of pigments unless i need to use them and the best way to do it is get is kind of just do what mike rinaldi says get a light a medium and a dark and make three mixes mix the light one with mostly light and some medium, and then take that, add more medium for your medium, then take that, add more dark for your dark, and you can get a wide range of mud colors, and then you need a fixer. I like using like ammo uh, pigment fixer. That's what I use more pretty much exclusively. There's others out there. Mike Rinaldi says to use whatever thinner you're using. I, I don't really subscribe to that. Just use a pigment fixer. It's easier, I think. Yeah, and just those those three oil colors that that John mentioned, they're, they're great. They're, they're awesome for just general general work you know if you get more specific into something then yeah you can start looking for other things but you know just a, a hand a couple of different pigment colors for if you want to you don't have to do mud i i don't typically do a whole lot of caked on mud because i don't like doing it because pick i don't like using pigments um but yeah that's what i would say yeah it's real real quick i just wanted to mention tj brings up a really good point i i personally am not a fan of using thinners to fix pigment i think pigment fixer is 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 really important. I know that some people say X20 from Tamiya or potentially mineral spirits. I don't find that they have bite. And if you touch them, it will fall off. Pigment fixer is the way to go, I think. Um, just you know, word of caution, once you drop it on, don't touch it while it's wet and it'll it'll lock that in. And if you get a little, you know, semi-gloss satin sheen, just hit it with some flat coat and you're good to go. That's really good advice. You know, um, before I hand the, hand the, uh, baton over here to Grant and Jensen, you know, I'm going to go really, really basic. I think the pin wash is the easiest of all the weathering techniques to learn, you know, just get a nice thin, you know, usually an enamel wash. If you painted your model with acrylics and do a pin wash, it's a super easy technique to do. And I think if you're getting started in weathering, I would go that way. And then I like the uh, metallic pigments from Ushi or for a from AK or ammo. You can get a little sculpting brush, which is like a paintbrush, but it has a rubber tip and they're generally designed for people to sculpt, you know, clay. Or, or or something like that, and you can use those and and put uh, you know a little bit of metallic pigment on your uh, tow cables or your machine gun barrels. It's a, it's a nice little touch. I think it'll add a lot to um, your armor, give it kind of a little bit of a metallic look. So yeah, I would say those two things um, as you're getting started are really good um, simple products to use. They're they're you know not as difficult as maybe some of these other techniques. 
Grant, what do you think? What's uh, what's some advice you can give to uh, Peter? Well, you guys covered all the basics that, that it's really needed. I, I'm going to jump back a little bit farther. I'm going to say, since we talked about pigments, oils, pin washes, um, one of the best things that, and it's not that expensive to do, is get a good pair of clippers and some nice paintbrushes. Your basic one, two, threes, if you have good clippers, you can, or side nippers or whatever you want to call them, you can make, make your work a lot easier, make it a lot nicer. Decent, cheap. You know, uh, the piles, you can buy a hundred of them off of Amazon for dollars or cents. Um, and a decent paintbrush. Um, you need a decent paintbrush to do a pin wash, in my opinion. But they're not expensive. Get a small tip, one, maybe a double zero or something like that. And, you know, have at it. I think we all tend to go a little bit, a little crazy when we when we get to a level when we're building. So uh, I think just keep it easy, keep it simple and have some fun. Well, that's always that's always good advice, especially when you're starting out. You don't want to get frustrated. Jensen, uh, what advice would you give, Peter? It's, it's hard, really, because it's, it's, a lot of it's been mentioned. There's a couple of products I've just picked up off the shelf here that I think are really good entry-level, just straight out of off-the-shelf products you can buy. Uh, I think for a nice, general, light mud, soily colour for weathering, Megamo Heavy Mud Thick Soil. It's AMIG 1701. Um, it's very thick. It's an enamel product. It's very, very thick, but I think the colour of it is, is just perfect um, for, for general dust accumulation or, or very light soil or, or dirt. It's really good. It's thick, so you, it, it will go a long way. It blends very well, so you can dry blend it well, but you can also thin it down with thinners and create a nice accumulation of dust. That's a, an amazing product. I use this on the, the Grant I did. I love it. I think it's it's now my go-to light, dirt, dusty color. I also think uh, Megamo Earth Amig one four zero three. Just that's a very that's quite thin. That's a very thin enamel weathering effect. Again, it's just such a good earth color. Again, for accumulations around around details or uh, the blending of dirt to the upper surfaces of models because it's thinner. Uh, I I like to apply it and then dry blend it because I'm just not a very good wet blender. But it's also good for dioramas and stuff for blending and, and such. Another little product that's not actually a weather ring product is, it, and it sounds gimmicky, brass toothpicks. And I think they're good for creating any sort of speckling or anything like that. And I, I, the only reason I say it is because if I use wooden ones, I've found, obviously, because it's wood, it absorbs the enamel product that I'm trying to speckle. It doesn't even have to be a brass toothpick, just a, a needle or a sewing needle or anything like that, uh, just to create speckle effects. Um, speckling effects can drastically change the finish of your model. You can use it kind of everywhere with different colours, different tones, different different products, uh, like with oils or enamels or whatever. And speckling is very underrated but an incredibly effective technique so yeah uh, they're, they're just off the shelf products they're, they're kind of a staple for what I do I think they're, they're good and they're, they're, they're relatively cheap as well the only only downside is these don't have a very very long shelf life that's the only downside but yeah they're, they're my go-to's that's great stuff. And and Peter, one thing I would add is if you're not already a member, join the Plastic Posse group um, on Facebook. There's a really very interactive community there. You can post pictures of your work, ask for advice, and and you've got some amazing, talented modelers. And, and it's a great group, very positive, and uh, you get a lot of good feedback. So uh, do that as well. And I think that'll help you. All right. Well, uh, thanks, guys. Uh, really, really good tips. Uh, last piece of feedback comes from Tyler Shepard. He says, hey, guys, I just wanted to let you know your recent episode was great and wanted to give you a few comments. I loved how you guys pulled up your favorite builds from other modelers from the year. I hope in 2023 I can build something worthy enough to be mentioned. I also just wanted to touch on you guys talking about getting burnt out. 2022 was a little bit of a rough year for me. I don't think I completed a single bill. Part of it 
it was due to two moves in a year as I got out of the military and transitioned back into civilian life. I got a new job and found a new place to live in Michigan. But the other side of it was being afraid that I couldn't top my Mang F-18E build, which is my favorite build that I've done. I would mess up on one model, drop it, and then move on to another and repeat. So I finally got my new workbench set up in my new place and I'm building again. And I've been feeling a lot better mentally and emotionally again. Sometimes you just need to step away for a bit and realize why you do the hobby. Stay safe and keep up the good work. You know, I want to start with Grant on this. You know, Grant, uh, you're you're a veteran, so you can relate specifically. But I know for myself, when I have a lot going on, you know, moves are very difficult. They're very stressful, you know, and they don't leave you with a lot of time. I know that can affect your your modeling. You know, maybe what are some tips that maybe you have uh, having undoubtedly gone through some of these transitions? Oh, oh, definitely have gone through with them. And Tyler, first of all, thank you for your service. Uh, really do appreciate it. Uh, you know, you had a lot going on, man. Don't worry about your builds. Worry about yourself first. You know, we always talk about, you know, our mental health and where we're at. And sometimes you need to step away. Hey, when I left the military, I'll tell you, Tyler, I, I didn't touch a model for nine, 10 months. And, uh, you know, it, I just needed that time to decompress, you know, and that's what we need uh, all of us need to do sometimes. It's just a step away, decompress, get that mojo back and attack it again. And I'm glad to see that you're out. You got a table up. That's great news. You know, keep it up. Don't try and, you know, repeat that F-18, you know, just try something different. Try something new. Try a, a 148 scale kit, an armor kit, or try a car, try a motorcycle, do a paint a figure. Just get back into the flow again and, and it'll come back. I, I And I 100% believe that. If you have any questions, you know, I you can reach out to me or you know, anytime. Um, I'm here to help. I've been through the same situation you have, you know, and so if you need some help, you need some talk to sometimes just reach out, man. I'm here for you. Again, thank you for your service. That's great advice. Uh, really terrific. What else do you guys think? Any other strategies you can share with Tyler for sort of getting back into the groove and not being intimidated by a build that he really did a great job on? Yeah, I think my input is there. This is a zero pressure hobby, and don't I've quit builds, I've started things, I've I've left them linger. From my perspective, do whatever makes you happy and most comfortable. I I know I know you want to accomplish things, um, but you know as as Grant said and Scott, you know th- there are other things in life. Things get in the way. Things happen, and you know it is t- it is tough in a world of social media, in a world where people are bombarding the internet with great builds. Uh, I've often feel, um, dare I say, inadequate or, you know, fallen behind. And you, you put this undue pressure on yourself. And I think from my point of view is it's easy to say, don't do that, but it, 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 maybe, maybe try things that help alleviate that stress. You know, take every day, you know, take every month, every day, you know, any, any type of progress. And, and sometimes you don't even need progress. And this is where I, I, if I didn't complete a build, I'd be a little sad. But if you're, if you're reading the forums, if you're, if you're looking at pictures of your buddy builds, it's okay to not complete anything. I mean, I've been there graduate school or school in general, I should just say, you know, new job, moving, all things life oriented, get in the way of this hobby. And I think the the way of making that feeling worse is to put the pressure on and say, oh, I need to do something. And, and that's not always the right answer. You know, take it at your own pace. Um, and if it, it kind of goes back to our 
our first point, love the work, do what you love. And, and sometimes things get in the way and, and don't be disappointed. You know, it's uh, just come back in 2023 and heck, start a new kit. It's okay. It's like 40, 50 bucks. It's not a big deal. So that that's my take. Maybe I've just gotten a little bit more relaxed, I guess, because there was a point where I would put undue stress on me. Um, but now, now I'm like, hey, if it gets done, if it gets done, if not, I'm good. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And focus on the positive, you know, go to a model show. If there's a club near you, there probably is either an AMPS or an IPMS club. Join that, you know, find some buddies, go to a model show, look for inspiration. Like John said, it's no pressure. It should be about fun. You know, if your hobby's not bringing you enjoyment, just step away, you know, leave leave the bench for a while, go find something that, uh, you know, makes you feel good, grab the golf clubs or a Frisbee or whatever. And then at some point you'll get inspired. You'll see a build or one of your friends will show you something and and you'll get inspired and it'll happen. It's, um. there's a quote I try and think of frequently. It's from the boy, the most the fox and the horse it's very simplistic and it's just imagine how we could be if we were less afraid it's just that yeah it's supposed to be fun appreciate that and uh tyler hopefully that's helpful thanks to all of you that uh, wrote in feedback we had a lot more than that obviously we can't read it all but we do um on the show but we do read it we do see it um we really appreciate it and uh, you can send uh, your feedback and suggestions to us uh, via email at plastic posse podcast at gmail.com the Plastic Posse Podcast is sponsored by Tankcraft, makers of the highest quality cutting mats for your modeling bench. Tankcraft cutting mats are heavy-duty, self-healing, come in two awesome sizes, and have World War II tank and aircraft blueprint-style drawings on them. Spread out your next build on an olive green M4 Sherman or Dunkelgeld King Tiger mat, and they've got aircraft too. So check out all the designs and also their range of unique modeling tools over at tankcraft.com. That's T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T dot com. Don't forget, Plastic Posse listeners can use the code Posse15 to get 15% off your first order. All right, so... In the next month or two, we have a lot of shows upcoming and a lot of shows the Plastic Posse will be attending. The first is Model Fiesta. It's Alamo Squadron's International Contest of Texas, held in New Braunfels, Texas, Civic slash Convention Center on February 11th, 9 to 4.30. This is really close to the San Marcos location. And I know that's uh, Darren from the Model Geeks uh, home stomping ground. So I know there's going to be a, it's quite a show and I, I, I would love to go to it. That's Rob Booth's area as well. Next up, we have the Northwest Scale Modelers Club's Model Mania at the Seattle Museum of Flight. This is a free show if you bring a model to display. Last year, I believe the count was over 3,000 models. This year, Jim Bates will be the show chair. Some of us will be given seminars. It'll be a really great two days. That's a true celebration of the hobby in one of the best locations a model show can be held. So I encourage you, if you are in the Pacific Northwest, if you can get a cheap flight in, uh, I strongly encourage you to take a trip up to Seattle and, and enjoy the, the spectacle because it really is. And it's it's a really big social show. Uh, there are no vendors, there are no contests. So there's just models and modelers underneath the M21 uh, Blackbird. So highly recommend it. And there's also uh, Emil's Hobby Shop nearby. So highly, highly recommended. We'll be there. Uh, another event, not necessarily a show, but something that we'll be participating in, the Model Officers Mess 48 and 48 Group Build from Models for Heroes. That's for 
from March 10th to March 12th. It'll be online. We'll be streaming live. I think Scott picked up the torch for the US contingent and he'll be leading that effort. Uh, and then a lot of us will be supporting that as well. I have a pretty straightforward 3D print for that, and it surely will be a great time. Next up in March, going towards the end, we have two big shows. Unfortunately, we have to choose. Commies Fest is on March 25th. That's the local Colorado IPMS chapter here. It's being held at the Wings Over the Rockies Exploration of Flight, which is at the Centennial Airport, not too far away from uh, where a lot of us live in Denver, and we cannot wait to go to it. It's surely going to be a great show. It's a new venue than last year, but the facility is beautiful. They're going to have a barbecue food truck outside. I think they're going to have a dessert truck as well. So come hungry, come happy. It's certainly going to be a great show. They've expanded uh, vendor tape from last year as well because they're selling out so much. And the Plastic Posse will have a table with Funfetti Cupcakes. So if you're in the Colorado, Utah, heck, even Omaha, drive on over. Uh, it surely will be a great time on Saturday the 25th. And then on the 26th, it's unfortunate for the Posse because we'll be in Colorado, but IPMS Hamilton is holding HeritageCon 15. It's on Sunday at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. It is, I will say it is the largest single day show in the world. Um, it it truly exemplifies the hobby. Alan Morell and his team do a bang-up job in hosting the event. The museum is second to none in Canada, has one of the only flying lengths left, and it is another one where thousands of modelers show up. It is the biggest event at the museum they hold a year, and they usually bring in an internationally renowned uh, modeler to give classes. It's super jovial. They got reenactors walking around, the 501st Star Wars folks, uh, truly celebration of the hobby. Also want to add on February 25th is the Old Dominion Open in Richmond, hosted by the Richmond IPMS. Jackson and I will be there uh, representing the posse and the geeks will be there because they always go and it's always a good time. And another one to shout out is the Atlanta Military Figure Society show, which is also slash amps show. They do, a, I think it's like a split show. That's in Atlanta on February 17th through the 19th. It's a pretty big show. I was invited to go. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it because of work. But um, if you were in the Atlanta area and want to see some cool models and figures, go check that out. Before we move on, the Seattle Museum of Flight Show held by the Northwest Scale Modelers is on February 18th and 19th. With February and March on the horizon, there is a lot of great events all throughout the country and North America for that matter, uh, where you know modelers can stop by and have a great time. Has your stash become monstrous? Need cash or maybe some extra space? Or maybe looking to grow your collection? Trying to find that special or unique kit? Whatever your needs, check out HobbySwap.com. That's Hobby-Swap.com. Did we mention that HobbySwap, you can list as many models as you want to sell for free? That's right, unlimited free listings. They also have lower price listing fees than any of those big named auction sites. And it's easy to use. Posting a kit for sale takes as little as 30 seconds. HobbySwap.com, it's like going to a model shop every time you log on. Check out HobbySwap.com today at Hobby, H-O-B-B-Y dash swap, S-W-A-P dot com. 
All right. Thanks, guys. If there's anybody out there that is having a local show that's not on our list and you'd like us to talk about it in advance, um, just send that in again. Our email is plasticpossypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to help you uh, you know, get more people there and uh, spread the word for you. All right. Well, I think it's uh, time for our, our main interview segment. Uh, we have a, a returning friend. It's been a while since we spoke with him. We had a great conversation with uh, everybody's favorite uncle. Martin Kovach. And uh, I think this is a conversation you're going to really enjoy. And uh, here we go. All right, everybody. Well, welcome into another uh, Plastic Posse podcast interview segment. Uh, it's been quite a while since we've been able to catch up with our guest today. It's everybody's favorite uncle, Martin Kovach, is joining us. How you doing, Martin? I mean, come on. You should have said like, you know, not what I'm doing because I was I was preparing that friends started <laughs> off. Now I, I don't know how to begin. <laughs> but okay, let's pretend. Friends, it's been a while, wasn't it? <laughs> no, that that doesn't sound right. Well, thank you for having me again. It's been a long time. I can't even remember when when was the last time. It wasn't even last year. It was like 2021, I think, was the last time when we had this hangout together. Yeah, so quite a while. And well, it's been it's been a ride since then. But I'm so happy to be back. Well, we're uh, we're glad you're joining us, and uh, it has been a big year. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, joining us today as well are my cohorts, Mr. John Benani. JB, how are things going? I'm doing well, all things considered. I'm super stoked to be here, super stoked to talk to Martin, and can't wait to get into the discussion. Absolutely. And we also have Jackson Stanton joining us uh, for the interview as well. How are you doing, Jackson? Doing fantastic now that I'm here. A huge fan of you, Martin. So I'm really looking forward to asking you some questions. Well, Martin, uh, let's just kind of get into this. I mean, like we talked about, um, man, what a massive year for you. Obviously, tons of projects and videos, but you did a a, a huge remodel on your house. Uh, is that all kind of yeah. behind you? And yeah, luckily, luckily, it's been it's been almost a month since I did the last final thing when I installed some uh, shelves in my laundry room. And that was the last room I had to take care of. So that when that was done, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It's, it's actually over and done. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's not completely done. This was the most important part, you know, but then there's the staircase, the entryway, but I kind of just postponed it to this year because... You know, having all those contractors roaming around your house and when, you, when you're working from home, it just it, it disturbs your inner peace and everything and you can't really focus and you're constantly listening to what, the, what they are talking about and how they are complaining and everything, how when things are not going smoothly. And also, it's just, I don't know if it's just the European thing or Eastern European thing or it's also in the US, but it's constantly like, like, uh, dear mister, can we have a coffee? You know, that it's all the time. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think I think your remodel makes a lot of sense based on your video content because, you know, you're gearing up in miniature in 2021 and 2022 uh, to see the real thing uh, in your place. But it's my attempt at a sh- 
joke. Uh, I mean, I mean, it was it was pretty much on it was pretty much on point because because a lot of people were doubting me. Like, man, like you can't use all this experience from building toy models in real life. You know, it's, it's just a childhood hobby. But little did they know that. <laughs> If you learn how to paint concrete in miniature, you can actually paint fake concrete in real life. I mean, it doesn't show probably on the video chat, but that wall behind the TV, that's fake concrete and all done by yours truly. So Nice. That's a big <laughs> bottle of VMS. I mean, well, it's a, it's a specialized product for faking concrete because, as I learned, you can't use real concrete because that would mean too easy and everything. And yeah, like it's a 20 kilo like bucket and it costs like 100 euros. And I, and I use, I think, like eight of them in the entire house. It was a lot, you know, and then additional paint and applying black paint with sponge, then dry brushing and everything. I mean, it, it was pretty time consuming and also pretty heavy on the wallet. So, but I think it was worth it. You should have done yeah, a man. video on that. I'd like to see that the one, <laughs> one to one scale techniques that you're applying there. If I wasn't all like all the time, like at the verge of a mental and also a physical breakdown because I was just so exhausted all the time, I would have done it. And also when I was doing all those, uh, that brick cladding, which is basically gluing one individual brick after the other, like they're cut from real old bricks and they're like one inch thick, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to glue them piece by piece and then add the grouting and everything. And that was also some, you know, basic diorama skills put into practice. But it was also super exhausting. And, you know, you can you can tell others like professionals to do this for you. But when you have a specific idea about how it's supposed to look and it needs to look like bad on purpose, then it's better if, if you do it yourself. If you have you know clear idea about how it's supposed to look, so yeah, I, I had to do all of that myself, and you know I'm pretty proud. I think it turned out okay. The truth is, he kept going over to the contractors, JB, and saying, <laughs> "Basic modeling skills, bro." <laughs> <laughs> well, the the main thing is, I mean, on camera it looks great. I did see your your video that you did, so it looks like your space gives you room to breathe, and and it looks really efficient and livable and i'm sure that's going to help you in 2023 and beyond yeah i think i think it always helps when you have a cozy place where you feel right at home and you know surrounded by things that you know capture your spirit or how am i supposed to say it you know when you when you when you're living your pinterest life then (laughs) i mean it improves your life quality and hopefully also all the work related stuff and everything so we'll see but i have high hopes for this year Let's take a trip back to 2022 real quick. And as you know, you look at your evolution of modeling, your projects, you know, I, I'd love to ask what, what are kind of two or three highlights from the year that, that I don't know if it was a eureka moment or this worked, um, you know, I'd, I'd just be curious what, you know, what does Martin find these days as kind of like that level up? That's actually not very easy to answer because when I look back, it all kind of blurs together and, it's for me it's not really about the individual techniques or i don't know new approaches to everything but it's more about those experiences with specific models when when i look back to those projects and i and i'm just like yeah i had a good time when i was doing that you know like it it was it wasn't it wasn't like nothing was going out well or i i was stressed all the time but those that i really you know like 
remembering. And from all of those, the one that always sticks out is the rusty Volkswagen Beetle, which was just completely out of the blue, something totally different. But basically, it was related to all, everything we do as armor modelers. And maybe it was just because the model is so tiny and you don't really have too much to do on that model, even if you want to employ all those special techniques and fancy stuff and whatever. But that was like... I think it, well, I can't remember if it was less than a week or slightly over one week from start to finish, but it was just, you know, good time from, from start to finish, from opening the box to finishing the small vignette. That was just really cool. And if we want to talk about something like progression, I think it was really just minor stuff, you know, small, I don't even want to call them improvements or anything. But when I look to 2021, um, basically, when we when we're talking about dioramas or landscapes, the most ambitious thing I could do was just to take a block of styrofoam, cut it into a rectangle, and then build the terrain over that. And this year, those dioramas became way more complicated at least vertically, you know, we had the trench diorama with the EA7V and that was just, you know, you had to compose the entire trench, although it's just a, you know, a straight line and nothing special, but, you know, the slope behind it, the terrain depression in front of it and everything, and it all kind of had to work together. And then like a level up from that was the IS2 diorama with the fallen bridge. And that was even more complicated because it was on an oval base and it needed a lot of planning and you know you, you keep playing with these styrofoam mock-ups and large blocks and just trying to figure it out how it's all gonna fit together trying to imagine the final composition because you know i haven't done dozens of dioramas in my in my life i i'm not some kind of diorama veteran or something so when i'm composing it's still really hard to imagine the finished scene and i'm always thinking like is this gonna be enough you know I mean, it, when I have just a plain block of styrofoam, I'm thinking, is this going to be interesting enough or should I add some terrain feature now because I would regret it later or something? And yeah, I think this was pretty huge when I, you know, started like constructing those uh, skeletons of those dioramas from multiple complex shaped pieces of styrofoam. Like that's, I mean, it might look easy, but it's really not. And I don't talk about that too much in those videos because it's more like just most of the time you just keep staring at the workbench and, you know, thinking about different uh, layouts and everything. So there's really not much to show there and people will probably find it boring. So I just jump straight into the action, like let's texture this and everything. So this was pretty, pretty huge. And what did we have then? Oh, um, I mean, epoxy water, right? right from the start of the of the year i think in january was the 1917 diorama that was completely epic like that was one of the most intimidating things for me because it's a medium that's completely alien to a regular armor modeler like where do you need epoxy resin in you know armor modeling maybe except headlight lenses or something but that like covering basically the entire scene with a lot of resin there are so many things that that can go completely wrong and it just it just clicked you know immediately right off the bat and that was pretty sweet and it gave me not just confidence with this medium but actually i became passionate about it because then what did we have then the is2 diorama with the 
with the fallen bridge and the river. Panzer of the Lake, that's basically 75% just epoxy water. And that small portion of the creek in that winter scene with the Panzer 38T. And that actually, I mean, it's it's not much, but it's probably one of my favorite vignettes that I've done. And that was just completely like, I just, I just rolled with it. I had no planning for that scene. I had no ideas. So I just, okay, let, let's do a standard cliche composition, you know, and let's see how it all turns out. Because after all, it was a model for a friend and you never care about models you do for some someone else. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, seriously, that was just like, I just rolled with it. And wow, I mean, in three days, the whole scene was done. And I was like, okay, this actually turned out pretty good. With Even with the epoxy resin and everything. And even the scenic snow, which is, uh, that's one of the more complicated things I and that's, actually, that's the other thing. You know, as I'm talking about it, I keep rem- remembering those small um, steps forward. A scenic snow, that's another thing. Back then, I only did one small scene with some snow. And, I mean, it was 100 scale, so you can't really you know, do something exceptional there. And this year, there was the KB2 diorama, which turned out horribly, if you ask me. I completely, like ruined it with the snow because I was really just rushing it. I, I, that diorama, I, I think I was finishing it sometime uh, Thursday afternoon and I just had to finish it because I needed to edit the video so it would be ready on Friday. <laughs> so that was completely rushed. It didn't turn out as I hoped it would. And what was the other snow scene? Oh yeah, the, the Panzer 38T. That turned out pretty well. So yeah, you know, the basically everything was just you know, in diorama department, because that's still something new to me. Armor, not so much. You can't really, you know, reinvent, reinvent the wheel or something or rediscover America with, with armor modeling <laughs> techniques. Yeah. <I laughs> or maybe, them. maybe you can, but, but not this, not, not, not last year. Maybe this year will be the year. <laughs> I remember watching that first video on uh, the British rhomboid in the water. And I remember you taking that saw to that Tamiya kid. I'm going, oh, what's he do? Yeah, that was um, like, it's all or nothing, all or nothing from yeah, now on. <laughs> I mean, you were 100% in at that point. Committed. But, but then, uh, man, it's just, uh, that that is one of my favorite pieces of yours. I mean, you know, it's probably hard to pick, but I love the way that turned out and the water, you know, the muddy water really set such a, such a tone, a, a mood to that piece. It just really, really turned out great. Thank you. I mean, that was also pretty interesting, all that mindset behind the whole diorama and everything. Uh, basically, when I was starting out, I knew I wanted to try a water diorama. And I had that photo of the real Mark IV. And I was like, okay, this is going to be my inspiration. So I knew, you know, I cut it in half and everything. And then when I started composing the diorama, I went the usual way, like the longer side of the rectangle was supposed to be towards the viewer. But that didn't really work out. And then I thought, why shouldn't I break the rules a little, you know, and make the dominant uh, view angle the shorter side, basically like in the photo. Yeah, so that was pretty different because usually I spent usually at least half a day just planning and trying out, you know, the composition. And this was just, okay, the first composition didn't work out and I redid it and it was like done in one and a half hours and I was ready to, you know, texture and everything. So it went pretty quickly and maybe it was because that I could I could focus more on the painting and all that other fun stuff. Who knows? You know, you talked about a lot of the highlights from the year, a lot of great things. You know, I, I'd be curious. This is a question that I've often wondered, you know, what's the human side of Martin like? You know, I look at Panzer the Lake 
and when you had the bubbles uh, that just uh-huh. came out of nowhere, like I'd love to understand how do you deal with those instances? Because I think, you know, a lot of our listeners, a lot of viewers of your videos, myself included, are like, this guy's perfect all the time. But, you know, what's the human side of Martin? Uh, like, you know, how, how do you go through a problem like that and stay motivated to complete it? Well, I mean, sometimes sometimes things like this happen and when you're filming everything and posting everything all the time, you know, showing all your work, then you have just, you have two options. You can, you know, cut it out and fix it behind the scenes and pretend like everything went smoothly and you're, you're Mr. Perfect and everything. Or you can just go with it and see how it turns out. Because that was, even when I was doing the Mark IV diorama, I, my expectations were that, my expectations were pretty realistic. So, I was basically expecting that the resin pour would fail. Like it would start leaking or maybe the heat would, you know, because when the resin uh, dries, it heats up. So I was expecting the model starting to melt or something. Anything could happen. And I was just ready to film it all and make a video out of it because why not make a video if you fail? You know, at least people can laugh along with you. And that was that was pretty much the same with the Panzer of the Lake. Like it started happening, I noticed it, and I knew that that wasn't a problem that I would solve like in five minutes. You know, so I just decided to film it, and you know, con- as I was dealing with it, the resin started drying and everything. I kept filming it in these small segments, and I basically I, I knew that okay, this doesn't look cool, but as I was trying to fix it, I started to make a plan how I'm going to fix it the next day because I just knew there wasn't much I could do when the resin was still soft. Yeah, I think it it didn't turn out so bad in the end. You know, I could cover it with the next layer and with some, some of those floating leaves. It's still visible if you look at it under some angle, but I think it kind of adds to it because uh, river water isn't ever completely, you know, clear or smooth. You can always have bubble, bubbles. And like people said in the comments, bubbles usually mean there's some life there, like frogs or turtles or whatever. So yeah, we can pretend there's some turtle there or something. So yeah, but other times when something fails and it's nothing significant, I just I just skip it. Like, you know, when an enamel wash dries to a glossy finish in a few places, and I just hit it with a flat varnish off camera because it, it's not really you know, worth mentioning and it's nothing serious. So, yeah, so a little bit of both. So, Martin, I feel like this year in particular, your kind of style and finish and even, I guess, focus on scenic elements of your work has evolved. Would you be willing to talk about kind of what's changed for you in terms of your style? Well, hum, another pretty tough question now that I think <laughs> about it. Um what's changed well we talked about those you know terrains becoming more complicated and everything and trying new new methods new mediums like water and snow and and stuff but i don't know like maybe i maybe i realized that a simple scene like a completely bare bones basic vanilla scene doesn't have to be totally boring you know like for example, the Panzer 38 has a basically that's not even a vignette, you know, it's a as um, who was it? Ruben Gonzalez, he calls them uh, decorated display stand, DDS. <laughs> so basically, it's just a display, something that's used to display the model 
but in a more attractive way. You know, and a decorated display stand doesn't have to be just a piece of grass and a little bit of dirt. You know, you can have a creek, you can have a small hill behind it, or a tree trunk, or it can go uphill, downhill, can be sloped towards you, whatever. And a similar case was that uh, Toyota Land Cruiser diorama. Okay, that has figures and everything, so it's technically vignette slash slash diorama, but it's still it's 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 completely simple, just uphill road, and that's pretty much it. When I was when I was doing that, I was trying to find some inspiration, like uh, mountain road diorama. You know, that was my Google search, or Afghanistan diorama trying to see what other people did when they were trying to depict something like that. And, you know, there were lots of, you know, like winding roads in small scale and everything, all like pretty large dioramas. And I was like, okay, that's not my style. If I try, I can uh, tell that story or at least uh, make that setting obvious with a small piece of terrain, you know? So maybe minimalism is the key word here. I don't know. Because on one hand, okay, Huge, bombastic dioramas are always more attractive, even especially to people who don't do any armor models because it has that wow factor to them, right? But I think it takes more skill to tell the same amount of story and to convey the same emotion, which is the most basic stuff. You know, and I mean, okay, I'm not denying the amount of work that goes into huge dioramas and everything, because every piece of that is a small art piece on its own. But it's 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 like I don't know, it's like with with movies. You know, you have you can have minimalistic movies. Take for example, sci-fi movies. You know, you can have blockbusters like Star Wars, Star Trek, and whatever. And you can you can have minimalistic sci-fi movies such as Ex Machina, for example. You know, so I think it's something like that. You know, it's a different, not not different genre, just different approach to it. You know, yeah, I completely so, see that in your work, and um, I think like the VW Beetle Dio, that's like the perfect example. There's not a whole lot to that scene, but it still conveys emotion and a story. And yeah, I, I think you're. 100% right. And that's pretty interesting now, now that you mention it, because one of my patrons, who's a really good diorama modeler, his specialty is basically vegetation. And I'm, I have nothing on him. You know, he's, he's next. He's not just next level. He's the next level beyond that. And he did the same beetle scene, basically, with the round base and everything. Pretty much not a copy of my work, but inspired by my work. And then there you could see the different approach from another modeler. Like you could see his handwriting there. And he did even a well much better job because his specialty is vegetation. And he included all those trees and small bush- bushes and everything. And it was really like, if I could compare those two, his would be much better because I think his scene uh, tells the story even more clearly, you know, because uh, the one I did, uh, basically, my, my deadline was to finish the entire vignette in one day. So I didn't even paint the terrain or anything. And I mean, I was following reference uh, photos from the real woods where those cars are rotting. But his scene is just way more, you know, it, it speaks better to the viewer. So, yeah, you can sell the story again on a small piece of terrain. But if you choose your accessories and terrain features and everything carefully, and you pull them off perfectly, it's going to speak volumes. Basically, you'll you'll be able to tell the same thing as a one-by-one-meter huge diorama with 80 figures and 10 tanks. Well, and that goes back to what you were talking about with your composition, you know, focusing in on the composition, doing 
more with less and, you know, telling the same story with fewer elements, even if uh, that other diorama, you know, you admired it, you said it was kind of better, but yet it's still inspired by your work. And so the, the storytelling element, the aspect that you put into that, I think really was a success. And that's a, that's a great example of that. Well, sometimes you just have like, <laughs> how should I put it? Like sometimes those dioramas just plan themselves, you know, because you can take something completely simple, like a rotting car in a forest, and you just you just search a few inspiration photos from the real world and you can just basically copy them, you know, because it tells the story so well. It's it's actually much more difficult with a World War II dioramas or any period dioramas when uh the original like it's really hard to find a period photo they just look at like okay this is perfect diorama material like if i interpret this photo into a diorama it's going to be a total killer you know that's pretty rare like that only happened with the mark IV and i think the the is2 even even the a7v after all that's not an authentic uh period photo it's a photo montage of the a7v and someone just pasted it in photoshop into the trench so even that's not real so yeah like i said that's not actually as easy as one might think because most photos from from the war are just tanks on roads you know in cities and nothing much going on there or dioramas from from the eastern front they're basically just huge fast planes of grass and dirt and nothing else going on so there you you need to use your imagination a little bit more. You know, one of the questions I have, Martin, you know, you, we talk about setting the scene and I think we kind of hinted at it there. When you start off on a project, I'd love to know the, the finished result, two, three, four videos down the road. Is it around what you imagined or does it evolve throughout that, you know, process of not only the build, but the finish as well? Would love to hear your thoughts there. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but that's... The part when it when it isn't is just because of the nature of my work. Like if I commit to something, I want and need to finish it because I want to deliver it to the viewers. So sometimes when I start a project where I don't have a clear idea, I just let it develop as I'm working on it. So maybe I start, you know, figuring out something, maybe I get some ideas or something just immediately pops in my mind halfway down the road. And Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I, when I finish the model, I have to sit down and actually think about something interesting for it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And other times, and I think it was in most cases when I had a clear image uh, from the beginning. No, the Mark IV, that was inspired by a photo. Uh, A7B, same thing. I basically, I basically built the, the diorama after I built the model. And then I painted everything. IS2, same thing. Um, what else? Yeah, actually, that's about it. <laughs> okay, the Volkswagen Beetle, I knew it would be in the forest, but uh, KV2, that was complete improv. Basically, when I finished the model, I posted the video, I sat down uh, in my kitchen with the model and a few blocks of styrofoam, and I just started thinking, like, what, okay, what can I do with this? And, you know, uh, diorama masters like Marine Van Giels, they would tell you, like, that's not a good approach. You're doing, you're doing it wrong. But sometimes, you know, it just happens that way. It turns out that way. The Conqueror, which is probably my biggest diorama, that was again also complete improv. Like, um, I knew it would be a rusty wreck, according to those photos from Britain from, uh, from today. I wasn't sure if I was even going to put it 
on some kind of scenic base, you know, because it, it was a large model and I don't have too much space in my in my display anymore. And so I was wondering, is it going to be a standalone model? Yeah, probably yes. Then when I started painting it, like, okay, this probably would need some totally basic bare bones uh, vignette or something like a piece, of, a, a bunch of those concrete blocks, some tall grass and maybe a lamppost behind it. And that would be it. And then it just developed further because I don't know if I, I don't know if I talked about that. Oh yeah, I did in, the, in those videos, like that building behind it, that's actually an old collective farm warehouse from a, from a neighboring village. And I was going through there on my bike one day. And I was like, okay, that's a pretty nice building. That would be a nice modeling project. So I snapped, snapped a picture of it. And I thought, hey, I think this would actually fit pretty well with the Conqueror. Like it had, there was the building, the concrete yard around it, lots of mess, you know, wooden pallets, old doors, broken window frames and everything, you know, against the building. Like, yeah, that's pretty, like I could, I could completely imagine a real rusty tank parking there. So that really just developed along the way. So, so yeah, sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's a plan from the beginning. Sometimes it just develops. What about cats and dogs? Curious huh. as to how that kind of came about. That, that was improv because <laughs> uh, when I was building the Yak Panther, I knew I wanted to make a Normandy diorama for it, but I had no idea how, how, it, how it was going to look. But then I also positioned the suspension you know i moved the suspension i raised the back wheels and i made made that small jig for it so it could sit somewhere i was like okay i can use this to position the suspension and i can use this piece of styrofoam later in the diorama you know so the tank would fit perfectly to that scene so that was pretty much all I knew when I was building the model like okay it's gonna sit on some kind of hill because the suspension is already alive so to say and there was no going back from there. And then, yeah, I remember, yeah, I was developing that composition and the whole idea as I was painting the model. I, I, when I think hard, I can remember a few nights when I was just sitting at, on, at the front of the computer. I had Photoshop open and I had, you know, scale mockups like uh, the top view of a yak panther uh, and i was drawing rectangles around it you know and turning it around like okay how large is that diorama supposed to be where is the building gonna be where are the figures gonna be and everything you know and then basically the final composition was something completely different so uh that's a good that's probably a good advice don't rely on illustration or sketches or anything especially not in aerial view sketches they don't work you need to see that diorama sketch in 3d so it's always better to use some you know old boxes pieces of styrofoam whatever even 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 toilet paper rolls if that works for you whatever you can you use to imagine all those important elements in three dimensions in front of you that was awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little, I, I need a minute to take that all in. So. <laughs> okay, Martin. Well, you can hear the excitement in your voice. I think uh, there for a while in 2022, I'm going to speak for you. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought our favorite uncle was getting really worn out. You know, you had the stress of your house, you had the videos and everything, and you've released a, a couple videos. And one of those is talking about some changes that are coming to your channel. And so I wanted to maybe, maybe talk about that. So maybe, you know, what were some of the reasons for those changes and uh, how do you think those changes are going
going to help you improve? Yeah, well, basically, uh, TLDR version is that I'm not going to guarantee. I, I'm not going to guarantee weekly videos anymore. It's just not my goal anymore. And videos are going to come out whenever I consider them ready. And that might mean okay, maybe maybe two or three weekly videos in a row if if they're suitable for these small episodes. Sometimes it might be. Even, I know it it sounds scary, but maybe three weeks without a video. And then I will drop this huge, I don't know, 40 minute video with an entire model from opening the box to finishing it in a vignette. Who knows how it's going to develop. But, and I know a lot of people are going to groan like, oh my gosh, no, no, and everything. The whole night shift experience is ruined for me. (laughs) And he just became lazy and complacent and whatever. And he's, you know, he's not trying anymore. And uh, I mean, okay, if someone thinks that, that's completely okay. Uh, Because technically, it might be true. Um, but then again, my perspective and the whole reasoning behind it was that, yeah, the the house was the last straw that broke my back, but it was it was a long time coming, you know, because as I said in that video, the whole channel took off. Oh, I mean, okay, I started the channel one year before the COVID pandemic. But the, but back then, in the beginning, I was pacing myself. You know, I was breaking models into ridiculously small parts, like one episode about light chipping, one episode about dark steel chipping, one episode about rust around those chips, next episode about rust streaks going down from those chips, you know, and everything. So I had a lot of room to, you know, make videos in advance and everything. And I was, I and I wasn't really, you know, caring about the, their performance or anything. I was just trying it out, you know, if it's gonna work or not, if people are gonna like it. And everything back then was fresh for me. So even making a video about rust streaking was something exciting for me as a creator. But then pandemic, okay, was a thing. So everybody was locked inside. And I had a lot of time to work on those videos because I couldn't go outside. I couldn't meet anyone, you know, I couldn't hang out with with anyone new or old or whatever. Basically, all I could do was just go to the nature because, you know, that was the only place where you could go during the pandemic into the forest or whatever in the field. So I was riding bikes for, I don't know, two or three hours a day. And modeling for the rest of the day, you know, I bought groceries on Monday and I bought so much that it would last me two weeks. So I had a lot of time to work on models and filming videos. So I then I started cramming more content into each episode and the workload started piling up. Okay, the views started increasing, you know, the, the revenue started increasing and everything. So you have you have a lot of motivation to push yourself harder. But then everything just Thankfully, you know, the pandemic ended and everything and normal life started happening again, you know, and I mean, it feels ridiculous to explain this to people because everyone besides me has a normal life. It's just something completely new to me. But, you know, dentist appointments, uh, I don't know, you know, weekly or weekly grocery shopping, visiting friends, you know, hanging out, whatever, you name it. Everything that every other normal human being does besides me. And yeah, I suddenly I need and want to do this, these things again. And I just had no time for it because, I mean, it was just, it was becoming too much. You know, I was barely making those videos in time. Like, I can't even count how many Thursday nights were spent editing those videos or like, narrating around midnight you know when i was half asleep and then it showed on my in my voice 
and then staying up until you know early mor morning so the video could be uploaded in time for early patreon release it just started taking away my passion for for modeling because everything was just a chore something that needed to be done and uh, the idea started becoming less you know original and everything i became less ambitious and it was all just basically just uh, surviving from one week to the next and knowing that this cycle will never end because okay i can i completely understand when someone has a high stress high paying job like for example the it department you know programming or whatever uh, sometimes you just have a lot of work and you need to go i don't know 20 hours you no know, non-stop but then that that's done and you have a you know several weeks normal stuff normal stuff where you can take a holiday for i don't know a week or whatever but with me this cycle of high stress a lot of work never ended it would go on forever you know and during the holidays i just had this I don't know how you call it, epiphany or whatever. I was just, I was just laying on my couch, staring at the ceiling, and just, just thinking about my life. Like, okay, how am I, how am I gonna go for, you know, further in my life? What I should do? What should I do? Okay, I, I knew what I should do, but uh, there was always some problem blocking me from that, preventing that, and whatever I thought about, it always took me back to this you know, unbearable workload. Like every problem that was happening in my life was because I was working too much. It came to a point when I received a message or saw a comment like, here's an, here's a challenge for you. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, dude, come on. My entire life is a challenge right now. Like, you know, give me a break. You know? And that's not a good mindset when, when, when you're thinking like that. So I, I knew that something had to change and it was going to be this because I had no passion for this because there was a, a seriously like writing those videos, like the script that I'm reading or just following that became the most depressing part about this whole thing. Because when, when you're breaking videos into segments, you know, on one hand that those videos are not, not going to do as well as they would if you released an entire model as a one episode, because that's just more attractive to anyone. Even I enjoy, you know, full videos, not something broken into episodes. And when you're doing this, you keep talking about the same, same thing all over again. And when you're trying to write a script about pinwashes that needs to be at least 10 minutes long, you know, and you're doing it for the hundredth time, it just completely misses with your head. Like, like it's basically a metaphor. It was a metaphor for my life, like doing the same insane thing all over again. And it would never change if I didn't do something about it. And I know all of this sounds pretty depressing. And let me tell you, it was like, I had more mental breakdowns last year than I had in my entire life. But I think it's going to be a good change because... Even now, the, all those changes didn't even take effect. Like there, there wasn't enough time to do that. But I, even now, I feel way more inspired and you're more giddy with excitement when I start working on something. You know, like, like even yeah. even today. Yeah, uh, you can you can hear it in your voice. Literally, I mean, you're you you sound different than the last time we spoke with you. Uh, you're excited, and that's what I was gonna say. I, I think, of course, whenever the c word change, nobody likes it, right? Whenever there's change, some people are gonna complain. But what I'm excited about as a long term fan of yours is that. 
you're allowing the work to be the work and you're allowing the videos, you know, your, your work to create and do things the way you want rather than being a slave to the process. And I think that's going to have ramifications for your work. And I, I think it's pretty exciting myself. I hope so because, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm going to be a happier person for sure. But also, I think it will give me more room to, to try other things, like those things that people kept suggesting to, to me all the time. And even something people didn't even suggest, but I had these ideas, uh, but I never wanted to try them because when you're making episodes and the first video in that series doesn't do well, then the whole series is doomed because every other video is going to do worse. And you're basically dooming your entire channel for, I don't know, a month at least, and then it takes usually twice the, the amount of time for the channel to recover from that blow. It's just the way the algorithm works. I mean, I stopped caring about it a long time. I mean, I wouldn't make this change if I cared about numbers, you know? That's the one thing. Like, I had to accept that, yeah, the views are going to be lower. The revenue is probably most likely going to be lower. But I'm at that point when I'm completely okay with that. And I would trade less views, less income for more peace and quiet and, and you know, time to relax and actually live a normal life. Yeah. Plus better quality. Cause I'm sure you feel like there's different ways that you want to show your work and cut the videos and do things differently. And, you know, feel feeling a little more free to make those changes as you see fit. Yeah. Because for example, one of my favorite videos from last year was the, again, the winter Panzer 38T because I released the entire weathering process as one single video. And it was just so enjoyable because I could man- I could talk about each technique for a minute, you know, and not try to figure out new ways of describing the same thing all over again. And I mean, yeah, okay. Someone who see- who sees that video for the first time is not going to receive the same amount of information like from those older episodes. But then again, they can go back and watch those. You know, I can reference those in the future or whatever. So I think it's going to work out. Yeah. You know, Martin, dare I say, I look at this from like a small business perspective. You're a small business owner, uh, just very coupled with your art. Uh, and I'm, I'm being honest when I say that. And it's, you know, you're, you have a different strategy for 2023 and you look at the feasibility of the business, what it takes to, it's, it's a churn, it sounds like. It sounds, it sounds quite frankly, uh, demoralizing sometimes, um, you know, to be constantly under those deadlines and just feeling ground to a pulp and to sit back. And I think it's incredibly important and, and it's great to hear that you realize this and you're, you know, you're making a change for the betterment of yourself. And I echo what Scott says. I think your work's going to represent that where, you know, it's, it's not going to follow any prescribed manner that the market says, you know, you're going to do your own thing. I think the value created from that uniqueness um, will, will only increase your, um, I guess, your brand, your presence, your work. I think it's going to it's going to be a lot different in a sense of, you know, value to you I think is the most important thing, but then also to all of us, you know, listeners and watchers, we, we can we'll certainly see that come through I think in your work. As as you're more happy about it, your work's going to be better, your work's going to improve and and I think, you know, engagement on your channel is only going to improve as well with that type of attitude and approach to the content in which you're creating. Yeah, I mean, we'll see because uh, I'm expecting that the algorithm will have to uh, be adjusted. It, it needs time to adjust to the to the, if you if you do changes like this. So yeah, the views might might suffer for a while, but I think it'll be it'll be good in the long run because again, those single episode videos they always 
perform better than those small sectioned videos. It happens all the time. I, I tried it last year with the Bears Crossing diorama, the Volkswagen and the Panzer of the Lake. You know, I had these hints from friends for a long time. Like I knew that this change would have to happen some uh, at some point, but I tried to avoid it as much as possible because I knew I had this commitment to patrons who pay me, you know, they pay me good money from their own wallet. And I promised them to receive weekly videos and daily or almost nowadays, almost daily content, like photos and updates and everything. And it was just this pressure like, okay, I need to give them that. I had to start being okay with this idea that I might I might lose some of these people and everything. And what my what some of my friends told me, like honestly, Martin, I don't watch your videos anymore because they're just boring to me. You know, it's the same stuff all over again. And I I I, I completely got their point because I find them boring as well because it was the same thing just on a different model. You know, me trying to explain the same thing differently. So now if I can compact an entire model or I don't know you know, stuff like that into one video. I can talk about it more briefly, be more creative with the presentation and everything. But I'm not saying that every model is going to be a single video. I, I talked about that in that video, that some projects might be one video about construction, one video about painting, the third video about weathering, like completely from start to finish. And the last video would be a diorama, you know? And some projects, smaller projects would be one video for everything. But we'll see. Like, as I said, as I said I'm going to always decide when the video is worthy of being published. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. And to be honest, as a as a Patreon, when I look at content and I think about your channel and what you're providing, I'm not expecting, you know, deadline on the first of the month. If I wanted that, I would just subscribe to an old magazine. Um, what I want to see and what I what I came to your channel for is your style, your approach to the hobby. All those things are incredibly valued to me. And if it means a new format, new way, whatever you want to do, it's it's whatever makes you most comfortable, I think, at least from my perspective as a Patreon. That's that's what I want to see is I want to see Martin in his element. I want to see him happy. I want to see him enjoying his work. And that's going to come through in the product that you're creating. And, and you know, we see that in some of the projects you mentioned even earlier about the fun you had, you know, the Volkswagen bug, you know, you can see kind of those moments. Now I'm saying everything of yours is great, but when you're really happy and really into a project, it really shows through on camera, to be honest. And you shouldn't feel obligated to have that hard deadline if it's, if it's affecting your ability to, you know, complete work. Yeah. I mean, this, this applies to any creative work, be it painting, software mm -hmm. development or okay web page design anything where creativity is required if the author or the artist or whatever we want to want to call them aren't passionate it's it is going to show like okay maybe a complete uh newbie or someone who doesn't know anything about that specific art won't notice it but people from the from you know from the industry so to say are gonna see it you know and yeah one great example of uh tight deadlines killing the art, if you want to call it like that, was the Toyota truck. The first video is construction and airbrushing. And do you know what, why that airbrushing part is there? Because I spent, I don't know, four days building that model and I didn't have enough footage to make a worthy video. So I had to quickly airbrush it for like three hours and include <laughs> that. So I, I had something to actually talk about that week. Uh. You know? And I just kept thinking like, 
like, man, if it weren't for these stupid deadlines and, you know, weekly uploads, I could just finish this this model from start to finish and it would make such a banger video. Yeah, quality over quantity, man, you know, and, and a happy creator doing his best work. That, I mean, that sounds that sounds great to me. Yep. Yeah. They always but, say uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So I'm glad you said it earlier because I, I I would get shot if I said this like unprecedented. But I must admit, like your last couple of videos of the year, I kind of stopped paying as much attention to them. I put them on in the background and I wasn't like involved in them as much. Yeah. And uh, honestly, the more Sir Carl video that you put out recently, that was the first one where I was kind of wrapped. Like I was really into it. I was watching every second of it, really enjoying it. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the new cadence and you know your new uploads and all that mojo coming back to you that's a great point because that's also something that i realized and i also believe it's true that i don't know if it if there's a specific eloquent phrase in english for it but basically if it's uh, like too much of everything hurts all the time you know if it's too much everything too much everything makes it worse and i believe it was this case with with these videos as well like there was just too much of them already, you know, people just get fed up, if I can call it that, like, okay, yeah, another Friday, another, uh, another segment of this video, oh, maybe I'm just going to watch it when, when the whole series is finished, and you know, I'm, I'm going to binge watch every, every episode and, and stuff, so... Yeah, that might be also the case. But also the Carl Mordor, that was also a little bit of a sweaty palms moment for me because I kept almost four, I, I kept building it for almost four weeks. There, there's a ton of work in that model, in that construction alone. And when I looked at the footage, I became really ner- nervous because suddenly I thought, okay, there's not going to be enough footage to include in the video because basically every single frame is just me cleaning up sprue gates and ejector pin marks. You know, like there's not much interesting stuff going on there, but but luckily the subject itself is, I think, pretty interesting. So, and I mean, I think I'm not going to, I don't want to jinx it, but I think it proves my point because as we are recording this, uh, the Call Murder video was uploaded, okay, three days ago. And in three days, it has over 100k views. That never happened. I can't even remember when that when that happened for the last time. Like definitely not last year. So I think it proves something. You know, there was a huge break between update uh, between uploads. So people were like, okay, I want to see a new video probably. And also, I, I think the because of that larger gap between uploads, I had more time to work on something huge and actually interesting. I think that also helps, but I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'm going to jinx it and suddenly the video performance is going to plummet. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, it was an interesting point that you made. I, I don't think it's going to plummet. I love the new video. I love the subject too. I don't have the trumpeter kit, but I have the dragon one. It certainly inspired me to... I'm Grab sorry. It. Oh, well, Having I mean, the, you have the dragon <laughs> kit. <laughs> I got both of them. I got Thor and Loki. So the, uh, the short stubby and the longer one, but, um, yeah, I, I love it. And no one has really tackled that subject, you know, let alone in YouTube world, but also in print, it's, it's really hard to find information yeah. on that. Vehicle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I talked about that in the painting episode, uh, which as we're talking, didn't drop officially. But yeah, I mentioned it at the end of the video, like when I was, you know, Googling inspiration, like historical photos and everything, I also wanted to see what other others did with that yeah. model. Because I mean, 
it's such a well-known vehicle. Like pretty much mm-hmm. everyone who's interested in World War II, not even modeling, but just World War II, knows that something like that ex- existed. Or maybe they could, if you showed them a photo, like, yeah, I saw that somewhere. You know, so people know about that thing, but it's basically like nobody is building it. <laughs> you know, uh, like you can, you can see handful of models built on the internet, but you can see tons of uh, forum threads where people are going to like, okay, I'm going to build this. And then the thread dies after one or two pages because they just, I think, I think it's not such an exciting model to build because it's, it's complicated. It has, it has lots of parts. It's huge and it's fragile. There's a lot of stuff you can break and it's not as easy to paint because of that. So I can see why, you know, and it's not the most exciting weathering subject either. Like, like you can't beat the shit out of it because it was actually a highly valuable artillery piece. It wasn't a tank that was just sent into the meat grinder, you know, so. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there where people are like, oh, man, I have it. I'm going to start it. This is yeah, great. Like, Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do this. And then they yeah. start jumping in and they're like all these wires that go up onto the main gun mount and the railing and all the, the great work. And, you know, it's just like you said, it's a very complex project that in echoing what you said, they weren't beat up. They were taken very well care of in a sense. So, you know, you don't see them beat the crap all bent and broken, um, but they were expensive and they were mm. treated, you know, they, you know, in the front line, they, they weren't, just, their front line was several miles back outside yeah. of direct fire. So it's a really interesting subject. I, you know, someday I really want to see the real one at Kabinka. Um, I don't know when that's going to be, but it's, it's just such a unique vehicle that, you know, you said it, 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 it's pretty inspiring when you look at it, but unfortunately you don't see it in scale. And it's funny. I just pulled up missing links. I'm like, I don't think I remember seeing one on there. And there's only mm-hmm. one posted on missing links. Uh, and it's, it's a very old build. So it, it is not one that's tackled often at all. And I think what your videos serve is not only, you know, inspiration for people building it, but also help shed light on the historical significance of the vehicle as well, too, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, seeing it in real life must be really something because when you mm. consider just the size of the barrel, like uh, a human <laughs> being could fit into that. And yeah, I, like I don't want to sound like this because that's not who I am, but I'm not admiring German in World War II engineering or whatever, you know, they were just weapons meant to kill people and that's never cool. But when I was building that model and just learning about its functions, like how the suspension was lowered when the engine started. And then when they turned off the engine, the the whole vehicle just sat down on on its belly automatically. People could design this almost 100 years ago with just a pencil and a ruler. It's insane. Yeah. So looking back over the year, um, I'm a huge fanboy. So I've got some favorite projects of yours. I was hoping maybe (laughs) you could talk through. So I picked three of them. We've touched on a few of them, but I don't think to the point where it would be redundant. Uh, The first one I want to talk to you about was the A7V diorama. Could you share your thoughts on that or maybe any funny stories or just any cool facts about it? Hmm. Cool facts. Yeah, that was a model that I picked up because I had it for a long time and the paint scheme was very intimidating to me. But now, but at this point, I decided, okay, I think I can pull it off. And people have been pestering me about building an interior kit for the longest time. And I thought like, okay, this is going to be the ultimate troll because I'm going to make an an interior kit, but I'm going to close it up completely. (laughs) So people are going to freak out, you know? Yeah, that was one motivation. 
And also, I just I just really started to like the shape of the vehicle, and I was interested to see like how how am I gonna able to weather that because. It basically has no tracks. The tracks are hidden, so you can't have like splashes of mud on the back of the vehicle or anything. And also, fun, funny thing, the vehicle looks the same from the from the front and from the rear. It's just it has the gun barrel in the front, but basically the, it has the same shape. Everything is pretty symmetrical. So I was basically decided like, okay, I'm going to build this model. I know it's a mink kit, so it's going to be a pretty enjoyable build and everything. And... I was thinking about the diorama. And yeah, another thing was because I just finished the Mark IV diorama and I kind of had this World War One hype. Like, okay, let's build something else from the Great War. And I had I already had this model, so it was an obvious choice. And yeah, then I found that Photoshop image. I, I knew that it was a, a fake composite image, but I didn't care because really when you're creative uh, and they're not chasing 100% accuracy or anything... Why not? You know, why not take a Photoshop image as inspiration when it displays the model in an interesting way? And honestly, I was kind of at a loss with the figures because, again, I, I, I try to talk about this as much as possible, that I'm often limited by the selection of figures on the market. I don't really trust plastic figures. I don't know why. I just had a, I just had a mental block against them. Like I'm worried the detail is going to be soft and there's going to be a lot of filling and sanding. But then again, sometimes when you buy a resin figure of questionable quality, it's a lot of work as well. So yeah, maybe I could try some plastic ones too. But yeah, back to my point, I'm, I'm, I'm always limited by what I can purchase. And for this diorama, my only choice was a set from Stalingrad. And it, it, it was this huge set of, I think, six figures. It, it cost me 90 euros. So I was like, I better use some of those because it cost me a lot of money. Yeah, they're expensive figures. And I didn't really know what to do. You know, it's just, you know, two dudes standing there, like nothing much going on. But then I realized it's just kind of my, my style. Like there's never much going on in my dioramas. And I'm kind of okay with that because I know why that's the case, because I'm limited with those figures. And I know it's beyond or above my pay grade to try and change that. Like, I don't feel like trying to convert figures or, you know, or sculpt my own, God forbid. (laughs) So, yeah. And that model, I probably never had more fun painting a model than the A7V with the masking, with the silly putty and everything. That was pretty cool, you know, and post shading it. And yeah, that was fun. Definitely. Painting the diorama, eh, not so much because I was again oppressed with my ridiculous deadlines. But overall, yeah, that was a pretty sweet model. Yeah, I mean, that camo, that camo scheme is awesome. And I'm glad you brought up the weathering because that's one of the things I thought was really awesome about that build. Because when you get that World War One or even World War Two kind of fringe camo with the black lines and multicolors, it's really hard to like weather it and make it look good for all of the colors involved. And I yeah. think you nailed it. So, yeah, that was an awesome build for <laughs> sure. Thank you. So my next one is uh, the meme, the Panzer of the Lake. Uh-huh. That is such a cool subject. <laughs> and as as a Gen Zer, I respect the meme. <laughs> so uh, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that was that was my uh, YouTuber side deciding. I just went into that project like, okay, I'm gonna make a video that's gonna generate a lot of views. <laughs> that was my whole inspiration behind that model, <laughs> and. Um, it was a lot of fun because 
I basically just had to build the turret and it was okay. So the construction wasn't so much fun because it was a three star kit and those are just ridiculously segmented into the stupidest pieces, you know, and that wasn't fun. It's just not, not, the, not the type of modeling I'd enjoy. But then as I cut it apart and started constructing the diorama and everything, I and I think I found a pretty cool figure for it. Sadly, there's nothing that comes as close to the original uh, soldier in the historical photo, you know, leaning with the with the rifle and everything. But I think this one is even better because he's really like, he has that contemplating face, you know, with the pipe in his mouth and everything. So he's really thinking like, what is the tank's wisdom? So everything just clicked pretty well together. And yeah, I, th- I think I never finished a 135 scale model in two days, you know, painted in two days. But then again, it was just a turret. And so, but yeah, I, everything about that model felt really good. Uh, that was a good time. I wasn't exploding with laughter and amusement or anything, but it was just a really relaxing project, except those bubbles. But yeah, even that could, could be fixed. That was fun. But again, yeah, that was just, let's try if I can, if I can really generate a lot of views with this video, <laughs> like take something really popular and see how it turns out. And I think the reception even uh, with my friends was pretty good because they started sending me I, future diorama ideas like a river and just a gun barrel sticking out of the river. Like, yeah, that would be a really sweet diorama. <laughs> I was going to ask low cost as well. <laughs> I was going to ask if you had any other meme dios planned, like maybe the Tonk or something. Yeah, everyone, everyone keeps talking <laughs> about the Tonk, but like, like, dude, I'm not, I'm not going to waste a an entire dragon kit of M48 or is it M60 or something for, you know, just a piece of track, the small cupola and one wheel or two wheels. Like, nah, that's not really cool, but maybe, I don't know, who knows, uh, but I'm not really overly excited about the Tonk. How could you? That's, that's a hate <laughs> All right, so the last one that I really, really enjoyed was your Conqueror Rust Bucket build and that whole scene. So, yeah, share some thoughts on that if you can. Yeah, I mean, I already talked about the whole process of the diorama, how it sort of bubbled to the surface along the way. But basically, the the start, the idea at the beginning was that I realized I have a lot of shelf queens. Uh, maybe not a lot. It was, so it was the Conqueror, the T95, the super heavy tank, uh, the IDF Nagmachon, and Object 279, that monster with four tracks. That's pretty much it. So yeah, now I'm down to four. Yeah, it was so that was just my mission was to reduce the amount of shelf queens because I realized that they actually take up more space than kit boxes because I have each model in that airtight, you know, plastic box. And those, when you stack them up, they go like really tall. So I'm down to one. It was it was kind of sad because I when I started initially building that model a few years ago, uh, I bought a tanker grad book about conquerors, and there are some pretty nice pictures from Western Germany. Like they're actually beaten up, like you know they have bent fenders, the side skirts are missing, they're pretty muddy and covered with uh, you know camouflage nets and everything. So pretty, they're actually pretty interesting modeling subjects. But the dragon kit is just so plain bad that it would take a lot of work to make it look more presentable. And it was just easier for me to just tear that model, what I already had built, tear it down, make it into a wreck. You know, I had those photos already on my hard drive and knew about them. And I was always, since I put the model aside all those years ago, I was playing around with this idea like, yeah, maybe it would be a more interesting model if I built it as a 
rust bucket. But I could have added a few shell impacts because those things are basically used as range targets nowadays. So that would probably tell the story even better, but yeah, I'm just glad it's finished. But uh, what I didn't talk about was how stressful it actually was because when I was finishing the construction, I still had COVID. Uh, I spent two days laying in bed with COVID. On the third day, I was laying down the floors in my, where was it? In my bedroom and also finishing the tank at the same time. And then when I started painting it, the first contractor came in who was doing the bathroom and he was here for a week. And yeah, that's when I was airbrushing the model. And when you're airbrushing a model, you need to make sure that your workspace is clean, right? So that don't have dust introduced into a paint job. Guess what? He was right behind my door and he was cutting those tiles, those huge tiles, ceramic tiles with a, you know, how is it called? With the with the electric tool used to for cutting tiles or metal. So there was a lot of dust and the dust is still here. For example, all, all my models are covered with this fine dust and I just don't have any energy in me to clean them. <laughs> so yeah, that wasn't as awesome as it could have been. And yeah, then I remember there was a group of contractors who were changing radiant heaters or radiators, and that was the weirdest thing. Let me tell you, uh, I was I already had the building finished, so I was I was basically finishing the the terrain, and one of them just knocked on my door to my studio and peeked inside, and he was like, "Oh, you you like building models? I also like build. I also I also like." looking at models i was like sweet like do you go to some competitions you know like a viewer or something she said no i, ju- I just watch youtube oh really and who do you watch oh this guy night shift and i was like <laughs> okay <laughs> should i should i tell him <laughs> and I, I mean yeah i told him and uh, uh, he said that his, his son is a, is a real fan, so I I gave him a I gave him one of my model, models for his son. Oh, so that's I, awesome. I hope I hope he I hope he was happy. Yeah, yeah that's there's a bonus for you. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So Martin, I got to you know Jackson called out some of his highlights. I was really surprised earlier when you said the KV one. That was one of my favorite builds from this year. And I think the smokestack, the chimney is really what did it for me. Because I'll be honest, the only other diorama that I can remember that has something like that in it is Adam Wilder's uh, Red Tide Rising. Yeah. Outside of that, it's like no one does a, a chimney. And I think that was great. Did you... What, what was the idea behind the chimney? How did how did you come about like, huh. all right, this looks good? <laughs> that was the moment when I already had this kitchen slash living room finished. And that was Friday evening, 9 p.m. Okay, no, no, no. It was like 7 p.m. And I just sat down at my bar table with the KV2 and a few blocks of styrofoam. And I was, you know, brainstorming ideas like, what what can I do with this? I knew I wanted to make something simple because I didn't have a lot of time and everything. And... I started figuring out something like, okay, I Googled some images from Leningrad, but interestingly, the city wasn't as bombed as, let's say, Stalingrad. Like most of those buildings were intact. So like, okay, I can't do anything interesting there. So what else can we do? Okay, Leningrad was an industrial city. Half of the tanks were built there. 
So large factories. Okay, so let's do something industrial. I mean, it's no secret that I love industrial buildings. That's why also I stylized my entire house in industrial style. So I wanted to do something like that. But then again, I Googled some some ideas and a lot of people were doing these corners of industrial buildings. There were also aftermarket, you know, buildings cast from a plaster in this similar shape, like just a small corner or something. And I was thinking, maybe I can cheat and maybe, you know, be a little lazy and just copy one of those and make one, make one myself, maybe just a little. And then I thought, okay, so what's there? What's else that's pretty interesting, but simple. And I think I saw a diorama set from Arti Diorama, and they're actually a pretty cool brand. They have lots of cool stuff and they, ha- they have this huge set it must be expensive as hell, like huge factory in one thirty-fifth scale with an entire chimney stack that must be, I don't know, half a meter tall or something. I was like, yeah, chimney, light bulb, you know, okay, we're doing a chimney. But what if, what if I can't cut a, a conical shape? What if it doesn't turn out turn out as, as good as I need it to turn out? Uh, what are my other options? Luckily, there are square chimneys. So that's also a possibility if, if someone if someone doesn't feel confident to cut a circular shape, conical shape. Yeah, so 9 p.m. Friday, I had the idea, okay, we're doing a chimney. I had inspiration photos downloaded in my phone and I went to my studio, started cutting. Then I started scribing those uh, bricks and suddenly it's 3 a.m. Like, okay, I should probably go to bed. <laughs> but at least I had the chimney ready for painting. <laughs> no, 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 it, it, it wasn't ready for painting. I just I just had the, the stack and bricks. I still needed to make the, the square base underneath it and everything. But yeah, that was finished over the weekend. But yeah, I was just so engulfed in that that I just forgot to even go to bed. <laughs> That's what happens sometimes, you know, when you're literally like struck by inspiration, you know. It was a rare moment last year because I was feeling pretty uninspired when I was remodeling the house. <laughs> so yeah. Well, it's good to it's good to hear the the excitement back in your voice like I said earlier, but let's uh let's veer away from modeling for just a minute. Aside from dangling below helicopters after biking accidents, huh. Um, I I know you've mentioned in a couple different places you're interested in astronomy. Uh, What's Martin going to do for fun in 2023? Yeah, like I'm a huge nerd. And basically, most of my time at the workbench, I spend listening to either true crime podcasts or space documentaries or podcasts or whatever. And it, it comes and goes in waves. You know, you can't do one one for a long time you need to change things up so yeah i'm really into uh, astrophysics and theoretical astrophysics and all this cool stuff like theories of, like we can start talking about the potential shape of the universe if you if you want you know <laughs> or what <laughs> what's beyond the edge of the universe or how it or how it's not infinite but it doesn't have an edge or but let's let's rather not because that's a really deep rabbit hole or should i say black hole (laughs) and yeah i'm really into space and it was i had this idea between the holidays like between christmas and new year's like hey i didn't treat myself with anything what if i buy a a visual telescope like so i can you know just observe the planets and so on so i bought it i have it here next to me 
and it's cool, you know, seeing them with your own eyes, but you don't see them as well as you would hope. You know, they're basically just small, light, uh, shining dots. Like Jupiter is just a really bright, it looks like a star, and you can see three or four moons around it. And that's basically it. That's all you can do. Yesterday, I was able to find the Andromeda galaxy, but it was just a, it just looked like a small cloud, you know? But the excitement, like, yeah, I actually found it. It's really there. You can see it. That was amazing. But basically, I decided to try out this new hobby. So I ordered a new telescope, like an expensive astrophotography rig. So robotic mount, a pretty solid telescope, you know, all the gadgets for it. I also I already have a computer to control it to the whole rig. I still need to buy a DSLR to take those pictures. But yeah, I'm really this year I'm really interested in deep space astrophotography. So we'll see how that's going to turn out. That sounds pretty cool. Sounds like a <laughs> lot of fun. How's the uh, how's the biking going? No uh, no other uh, uh, accidents. Luckily, hopefully. luckily no accidents. Um, I'm taking it pretty you know slow. And well, unfortunately, the weather isn't really cooperating right now. And honestly, since August last year, I didn't have much time to go outside because it was just so much work here. You know, I was all the time. I was tired all the time and there was always something to do. And I was just like, yeah, let's let's just rather spend this time more productively, you know, either modeling or doing the house stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm planning on returning to it, but it's just it's completely muddy outside. And lucky those those people who live like in the Pacific Northwest and whatever, where the when when it rains, the dirt is basically just peat and water. So it's wet, but it's not muddy. Here, if you try to get into the forest and you just enter the field road that you need to take to access the forest. You'd be stuck in the mud after like five meters. Your wheels would just lock up and you wouldn't get there. And you would be lucky if you get, if you got home in before, before, you know, before sundown. So it's not really possible now. And, you know, even the weather is just so depressing. It's, it's, it's overcast all the time. It's um, three degrees Celsius right now. So it's like minus 1000 Fahrenheit, I can imagine. And, um, (laughs) Yeah, just, you know, it's that time of year when it's actually better to just stay out, stay inside. <laughs> but yeah, modeling as a job and hobby with a lot of passion, renewed passion, mountain biking, of course, and astrophotography. So we'll see how it'll, how, how it's going to progress. So speaking of your interest in the space, now I'm curious, have you ever had an interest in doing any real space modeling subjects? Um, hmm. Does like Warhammer count as space <laughs> modeling? Because it takes takes place in space, right? Uh, but even I wasn't even interested in that, like ever. <laughs> but um, they're not really nice weathering subjects, are they? They're just pretty yeah. clean, you know. Like maybe if it was something really cool, like if I liked the shape of that specific spacecraft, I would do it. No Star Wars. Don't, don't start with Star Wars on me. I'm not a really <laughs> huge fan of Star Wars. Um, but for example, if you saw that movie, Event, Event Horizon, it's a horror movie from the 90s. It's pretty gruesome. But the but the ship there, it looks really cool. When you look at it from the top, it looks like a cross. And all the features on that ship are inspired by Gothic cathedrals. So, and actually people say that Event Horizon is the best Warhammer movie that 
actually isn't Warhammer because the concept actually supposedly comes from, from Warhammer. So that's a little fun fact. But I don't know. If the if the shape of the thing isn't something I would really love, then I don't just see the potential in it, the modeling modeling potential. Like, yeah, you would just you would just assemble it, paint it, apply a pin wash to bring out all those panel lines, and that would be pretty much it. You know? Yeah, I don't know if there are any really like interesting weathering subjects in the space. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe the Voyager one spacecraft after forty thousand years when it starts falling apart or something. I don't know. <laughs> that would certainly be a subject. <laughs> so um recently I think you mentioned an interest in Machine and Krieger. Do you have any plans for building a Mac kit in twenty twenty three? Yeah, because it's one of the more suggested things for me. And again, I was always reluctant because I wasn't sure if I could if I would be able to pull it off in basically five days for that weekly upload schedule. But now I'm definitely considering it. Like basically right now, I don't even have an idea what's going to be the next model after the Carl murder. So I have a few ideas. Maybe it's going to be an armor model, maybe something completely different. And Machine and Krieger is on the table this year although I don't have it physically in my stash yet, but it's going to be definitely one of those easier, you know, models, like those bulky egg-shaped suits, not those robots like, or the, you know, not the huge bulking things, just those armored suits, one of those. If I can find a kit, I'm going to try it out. And I think I would paint it in that more traditional camouflage, like one of those that's suggested in the instructions. Because, yeah, people say all the time, like, okay, it's sci-fi, you can do whatever you want. And yeah, you can. But you also have those in-universe guidelines because Machine and Krieger is basically a universe on its own, right? And it has its own rules and laws. So I would like to follow those because really any paint scheme on a Machine and Krieger suit is awesome. And it has... What I like about them are those colorful additions, like those yellow stripes on hand, on, on their hands, or light blue or white. Those look really awesome. So that's that's what makes them cool for me. Also, they're bulky ship. Like basically, the whole suit is just cast armor, you know, with some welded on parts. So that's pretty cool. And you can do whatever, whatever in terms of dioramas. I saw some pretty original vignettes around Mac kits last year. And I'm thinking something, yeah, like maybe I can figure something out, like the suit, I don't know, leaning against the wall, you know, looking around the corner or something. I don't know. There are a lot of options. And it sounds like a simple, you know, like a simple, fun build. Painting it should be also pretty fun. I don't know. I don't actually know how large they are. Are they like this tall or yeah, smaller, taller? Six to eight inches. Yeah, and you can get them in a couple okay, different, yeah. in a couple couple different scales. They do the suits in one twentieth scale and one thirty fifth mm-hmm. scale, so you can kind of choose between them. And then they have some. I don't know if you know what a nut nutcracker or a nut rocker mm-hmm. is, but um, that that's something that I think you'd be really awesome to take a crack at. It's basically just a great big huge tank for like a hovercraft. And, yeah, yeah, that's that has to be pretty huge, right? Uh, yeah, again, that's big. I, yeah, they, yeah. I've been thinking about one of those. So that's 120th scale, John. Yeah. So what I'm holding up for our viewers, I'm held, holding up the Melusine, which is a 120th scale. You know, it, it measures probably six, maybe a little less, six inches tall. Uh, this release, actually, they just 
they just came out with a new release so you can get it on Hobby Link Japan. I was going to say some of the suits are hard to find. Some of our friends cornered the market, I feel like six months ago and bought them all. Um, but if you can't find something, let us know. We certainly will uh, be able to source one. But this is a good one. As I said, this is the old box art, but uh-huh. um, it doesn't have like a, a window or anything. But there is Yeah, a- I see that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. and actually looks pretty badass. Yeah, it's got that. Yeah, I would probably want that. <laughs> yeah, that so looks awesome. If you can and, uh, and the one, size, the, the size is also pretty reasonable. Yeah, like it's the so, perfect size. Yeah, and they're easily to manipulate. Um, you know, it's really really cool. And with your skills and weathering, and then setting the scene in a vignette, screams, uh, screams night shift. <laughs> yeah. I think when we are done here, I'm going to try and see if I can buy one here locally. Like, yeah, because now you gave me <laughs> a small buck inside of my skull. <laughs> nice. Nice. You heard it here first, listeners. Um, Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so as we look forward to Mac, maybe something else for 2023, Martin. Can we expect you to see you at maybe any shows? Some of us are considering go to Scale Model Challenge. Would you... Would you show up there or Mosin? Any thoughts on traveling uh, on the continent? This is this is one of my weaknesses that I'm a really more of a stay-at-home guy. And I always had plans for traveling in the future, like sometime in the future. Always sometime in the future. You know, all these destinations that I would like to visit one day. And shows are are also part of that. Like basically, Mosin show was always pretty easy for me because it's like a 90 minute drive south from where I live. And so that was pretty common, but I don't know. I know, I know that scale model challenge and KMK scale world and everything. Those are huge, but I don't know if model shows are so hot for me right now that I would go there, you know, take a plane ticket and everything and, you know, stay there for an entire weekend, everything. But maybe, hopefully, Mason show. Okay, not the entire weekend because the whole the whole town is already booked out. There's no nowhere to sleep. But definitely, at least Friday evening, just to hang out with friends. Definitely. And the biggest show in Slovakia is again returning this year, Plastic Winter 2023 in our capital, and I'm definitely going there. Yeah, nice. you know, honestly, you know. Okay, shows pretty much died down during the the pandemic, understandably. And but even before then, model shows kind of lost their charm to me because suddenly this became my job, and I really wanted to do something else over the weekend. You know, not again some model related stuff. But mm, where was I going with that? Huh. Yeah, I'm also I don't know. Maybe people figured it out about me, but I'm really introverted person and that that doesn't mean i i don't go outside like ever you know forget all those stereotypes but whenever i go to a model show i'm really exhausted like for several days from all those interactions and now i was actually getting anxious thoughts like okay so many people are gonna recognize me there like i'm gonna be recovering from that for an entire week probably (laughs) and i wasn't really sure if i wanted to go through that but now yeah 2023 it's time to make changes even uncomfortable decisions that always ultimately turn out to be good ideas at least in my experience whenever i was invited somewhere i was like yeah well i don't know probably and then i went it always was a good time so yeah, it's maybe it's time to grow up and yeah, start attending shows again. 
Well, uh, as, as we wrap up here, when you've joined us in the past, you talked about some of your modeling inspirations um, in 2022 or, or here recently. Have you seen any new modelers or new kits or subjects that have you inspired something kind of new for you? <laughs> this is, this is, gonna, this is pretty sad and, but I'm not going to lie, but honestly, I almost entirely lost touch with the modeling community because Mike Rinaldi said it as well when we were all three on your podcast, like he doesn't have time. And last year was the same thing for me. I just didn't have time, nor the energy, nor was I even interested in seeing what other people are up, up to because I was just so fed up with my own stuff, you know, and I just wanted to relax and forget modeling altogether. But yeah, time and energy was the main, the main factor. I just... Yeah, it's just what it is. There was no time to, you know, keep track because because people keep pumping out all this awesome stuff all the time. And you just, you skip one week and you completely, you know, you're you're out of the loop suddenly. So then it happens and you just keep losing touch and suddenly, I don't, I don't even remember what was the last model Adam Wilder finished. I think it was the A100 that he finished building, but nothing from there on. But I'm not sure because, again, I'm not really following. Uh, Mike Rinaldi, I know he does live streams all, all the time. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about Adam. I think he's working on some stuff kind of behind the curtain, but I'm, uh -huh. not, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm don't. i not an official spokesperson, yeah, yeah, so sorry, yeah, Adam. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, he, he, he wrote me an email recently because he yeah. wants something from me as well for, for that thing that he might or might not be working on. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a good guy. And I think Mike's yeah. doing a lot of uh, Gundam and oh, Gunplay. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was yeah. also pretty into trains. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's different things. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. It's been awesome to catch up with you. Um, it's been a delight. My it's friends, been, <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, maybe uh, next time we'll try not to make it so long, but uh, very excited for the changes that are coming. The night shift, the the mortar is is fantastic, and uh, I'm really excited to see where this new kind of uh, release cadence, you know, the the freedom that you have, where it takes you, and where it takes the channel. And super excited to see that. So. We'll see. Maybe maybe we'll meet again in, I don't know, six or ten months and I'll be here crying like, I just ruined my entire career. <laughs> Why did I do that? Doubtful. Doubtful. <laughs> We're, we're obviously we're we're huge fans but uh appreciate you taking the time with the posse we always enjoy talking to you and uh, wish you nothing but the best obviously it's always a pleasure gentlemen and i'm really glad you invited me again it, it was awesome so thank you thanks a lot yeah and i love the discussion martin uh can't can't wait to see the next video and i love your armor but i love the dioramas even more so you've taught me so much for <laughs> Even just painting grass, I know that sounds so basic, but uh, you know, you have really shown me the light in terms of basic diorama techniques. So that, thank you that so was much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. But now that you mentioned it, yeah, I, I know I'm I'm dragging this on, but that was like we're always so weird to me. Like I, from the get go, I started painting the grass because it just looks so 
ugly, but I know you can you can buy fancier grass, nicer yeah. grass that you can use straight out of the box, basically. It was completely natural to me to paint it. And so many people were questioning it in the comments that I started over explaining myself each time. And luckily, luckily, suddenly, I noticed that people are commenting like, like, yeah, it's been completely natural to me as well. Like, I don't know why, why so many people doubt that. So maybe it has caught on or something or more people are, you know, crawling out of the woodwork who have been also painting uh, their grass and everything. But yeah, and it's, it's just one of the most satisfying things to paint grass, to airbrush it. That's like, nah, that's awesome. Each, that's every, each and every time. Green. That's me. A yellow <laughs> yeah. green is the highlight. Ooh, that is a good yep. color. <laughs> and when you, when you want to be extra quirky, you can use flat yellow for nice. highlights. Nice. Very nice. All right. Well, Martin, you take care. Can't wait to see where that mortar goes and what's next after that. Yeah, we'll see. And I'm really excited for that. So thank you again. And you just gave me a lot of inspiration, you know, just being in touch with other passionate people. Because honestly, last time, I remember last time was last summer when we were here with Spencer. And honestly, back then, I wasn't as passionate as I am now. So yeah, it's been great. <laughs> I really, really appreciate your time that you spent here with me. My my favorite was when we had you on with Adam and Mike, and you were uh-huh. literally, that was right after your accident. So you did the whole interview with us in the prone position, and you'd have to kind of like lean up to try and reach your microphone. <laughs> Yeah, that 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 was pretty interesting. Yeah, but that, but that was awesome. That was awesome. I actually listened to that podcast like three times, just uh, just all of us hanging out together, you know. And I don't know, I, I don't want to make assumptions, but I feel like when I listened to it, you know, one year or how 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 long ago it was, but with all this time passed from that, yeah. So like like it was a while ago, and now with that time time gap between that. Um, I can approach that specific episode more like a listener, not as a participant. And I feel like, and I don't want to make assumptions, but I feel like me, Mike and Adam, we had a pretty good chemistry together. Oh yeah. So it'll be awesome to bring them again on board and maybe, maybe do another one. Yeah, do a do a group catch up. That'd be awesome. I'm yeah. always down to sit with those folks. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, I mean, Mike, he was just murdering it the whole time. Like when you when you ask that question, like, what is your inspiration for doing this? What is your drive? And my Mike was, what what was the question? Money. God damn it. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. We look forward to seeing uh, what you're going to be up to and uh, we'll catch up soon. It's going to be awesome. Thanks again, folks. Thanks, Martin. Cheers. All right. Later, Martin. Cheers. And that was absolutely fantastic with one of our favorite guests. Uh, Martin is no slouch, and we love the new format he's going with his channel. His latest project, the Carl Morser, it is really great, and it's cool to see something like that in scale. And a lot of what Martin has done, I think, really ties well into this next 
discussion topic that we want to have, and it's balancing historical accuracy with artistic expression. You know, one of the things as modelers, we see photographs, we become inspired, but a lot of times with those photographs, it's like, man, if it was just this, a little bit more of that, a little bit more of this, the scene could be absolutely perfect. And I think I'd love to drill down and talk through some examples or some things on the horizon for some of us where we've seen historical examples, but then we also put our, you know, our artistic interpretation expression into it. And that can be everything from the type of vehicle itself, the type of finish, the paint, anything and everything. And it gets back to the core of what we've always stressed, which is there should be no stress and this should be fun. So despite it being a historically significant photograph, it's cool to take your own interpretation and add a little fun to it. One of the examples I can use to start off is we're we're going to start this rhomboid build soon. There are countless photographs of these things, you know, meandering across no man's land and these different orientations, up, down, blown up. Martin's is a great example of one with the track flip back. And as I look through these photographs, I have a Mark IV and I can do a a female, a male, or the hermaphrodite. I actually, uh, I found this really cool picture of one cresting a hill, but it's a female, but I like the male's big guns because I have turned barrels in the kit. So I'm going to do that. And that's one example from kind of a contextual standpoint of what the vehicle is how I'm differing from history, but then also from an artistic inter- or expression, it's you know finishing German camouflage schemes. I'm sorry, a lot of the paint schemes I built are not historically accurate whatsoever. If I painted it how probably the Germans did, it would look very ugly, but I enjoy having a little bit more complex uh, scheme in the tritonal and then also bumping up the saturation of those colors as well. And those are just some examples where I deviate from history in that regard and put a little artistic spin on it. With that, I'd love to kick it over to my co-host because I think we all have, you know, this involves our personal style, you know, not only the approach to the hobby, but how we finish, how we finish the model as well in terms of paint. And I'll start off with our lovely Hamburglar Jensen. Um, so for me, I, I don't really care. Uh, it's it's for me. I I'll, I'll look at real life references when it comes to the build. I I so like we've got Jackson and Zach who go out their way to kind of produce the most accurate subject in said scale. Partial um, interior uh, Shermans, clearly. Yeah, partially. Yeah, exactly. Because we all know tanks don't run with engines. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll go out their way to create something that's stupidly accurate. They will completely re-sculpt and reform and do the wiring, just no engines uh, to their kits. The the thing is, I can see the bad side of what that does that will burn them out a lot of the time they'll stress so much on having it accurate and then there's me who's just like I do not I, d- I don't give a shit just get it built does it look like a Sherman does it look like a Panzer yeah right cool good enough for me now I can go on to the fun stage of painting it in nice bright vibrant Panzer blue that's also not accurate but is it an interesting looking model yeah of course it is Real life references I've never been one to model off a reference um, or recreate an image I'll take aspects of Say, like, say, looking for a Mark IV, I'll take aspects of 10 different images. It's like, well, I like the aspect of that one. I like that that has something. I'll just, it's an amalgamation of all, all my kits are kind of like Frankenstein kits. It's just little references from everything. So it's not something I stress about. I'm, I'm more interested in having a, a model that catches someone's eye and looks cool and interesting and has my style than, yeah, that's 100% accurate, true to the real life subject. And it's like, well, that's cool, but that one looks cooler because it's visually more interesting despite not being accurate. So no, I don't stress about it. Uh, I, I said I don't stress about it. <laughs> I used to really not care. Nowadays, I care a little bit more, mainly just for things like color accuracy. Granted, I, man, I did just say Panzer Blue. That's different. But like, if we're building Second World War German stuff, I want the Dunkel Girl to be kind of right. 
I want the green to be right. I want the browns to be right. But apart from that, I, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I just want my things to look cool. Oh, man, I get that. I paint pans or gray pans or blue. You're speaking my language, man. And how much better does it look? Oh, so much better. The people like it better, too. I, they I, do. Uh, so the much engagement. says it all. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, yeah. that was high pitch. <laughs> <laughs> you just get excited with pans or blue. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> easy there cheeseburger easy <laughs> scott what are your thoughts on this matter i really like this because again there's just there really isn't a- any right way i think it's what you want to do i think tj in our last episode said it great you know um when we were talking about the color of the whippet you know they just look better in in a in a green color and he's absolutely right so i think it really depends and you know i think as modelers i think all of us here i've seen you guys on some builds really kind of dive into that more you know tj did that sturmgeschutz that he modeled from a photo and and captured you us markings you know and he he went to the trouble of replicating the mud and everything else and then we've all had builds where we're just like yeah we're just going to do what we're going to do and so first of all i don't think there's a right answer you know but second of all i think the thing to remember too is modeling's a bit of a compromise and you know the plastic that the models made out of is probably thicker than the steel would be in one to one scale and so just just kind of remember that and you know each build uh, you know just whatever you want to do is fine I'm going to take a hippie approach. Just be happy, man. He's in. <laughs> I saw you unmute TJ. T- oh. <laughs> feel like you were going to jump in. Yeah, I think um, I think my feelings on this have been fairly well documented in numerous, numerous previous episodes. I don't really care about accuracy to a point. Obviously, if I'm building a Sherman, I'm going to paint it olive drab. And I've said this before, too. I know what real olive drab look like, and it looks like crap on a model. Sorry. It just does. It looks, it's way too dark. I mean, have just use some artistic license. It's, it's okay. You're allowed to do that. I mean, you're allowed not to do that too. I'm not saying not, but you know, there's, to me, there's just no, it's not fun to get obsessed over minutia that doesn't matter. Right. And that's where like, I don't care about like little itty bitty photo etch chains on some stuff because guarantee you 99% of people don't care. They're not going to notice, especially if it's like on the bottom or on the back, like no one cares. No one's going to look at them when it's on the, the table or in your display cabinet, chances are it's facing somewhat forward, right? I know for me, every single tank I have is if it's not facing forward, it's like three quarters forward. So if I put a bunch of extra detail on the back, who cares? No one's ever going to see it. And it's just extra work. I'd rather just get a model done than shave off little itty bitty pieces of plastic to add the more correct version of of a random latch on a toolbox that doesn't even matter the toolbox isn't open so who cares what the latch looks like it, yeah and same thing like with with color with just like scott said british world war one british tanks look better in green they just do i know it's not the right color don't care i really don't care i'm gonna paint a a Mark V, guess what? It's going to be green because it looks better. Yeah, that brown color is ugly. I've done it and I don't like it. I don't want to do it again. So it really is. It's kind of horrid. Yeah. I mean, I've done it's the same thing with like SEC2 Service Brown from World War II, also a hideous color. I've done a model of that. The model turned out good. I liked it. Um, I actually gave it to our friend Pete um, as a gift because he said he liked it. So I was like, yeah, it's yours now. Again, that's an ugly. 
last color. I don't, I just rather do something that looks nice. I'll never do something probably in uh, CC2 ever again. And if I do, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use the same color that I did because it looks hideous. And I use the correct color as correct as you, I think you could probably get. I use the Mike Starmer Tamiya mix, which he's like the expert in British colors. So I would imagine it's pretty close to accurate and it looks like, it looks like a turd. I mean, it, that's just what it looks like. It's disgusting. It's poop brown. That's what <laughs> that color is. <laughs> That's why I don't paint things pans are gray because it'd be black on the table for crying out loud. And yeah. I, I know it triggers some people and maybe there's some uh, maybe there's some ulterior motives when I paint it. But, <laughs> you know, no, you bring up a good point. You know, you know, noticing it. Ninety nine point nine percent people are never going to notice. And, and here's another example. Tamiya's Tiger One, their Tiger One late that came out in the 90s, really transformed Tamiya's armor modeling. The turret is inaccurate. A Tiger One turret is actually asymmetric. Tamiya made it symmetric. Do you know how many people notice that? I swear to God, no one with Mark One eyeball could ever pick that up. But there are some people that stress over it, and that's fine. That's their hobby. That's cool. But I'll echo what you know. A bunch of my co-hosts said is that doesn't matter. Here's another one. I was building a Martyr Three that my brother had started, and the tow hook was missing in the back. One of them, I couldn't find it. What did I do? I ripped the other one off, and I put two plastic strips over the holes. No one has ever said anything ever. It's even won awards. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Busted. And, and I've made that up with tools as well. So Grant, you know, your turn. Sorry. Um, love to hear your thoughts, especially on the fantasy front. Well, yeah. Fantasy front is, you know, that's one of the reasons I do fantasy, because if you tell me you're wrong, I'm going to say you're wrong. So <laughs> yeah, that, that color of orc is wrong. He wasn't that great. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, sir. Uh, but I, I have, I've served in the military for a long time. I, I was on Strikers. I was on Bradleys. And if you tell me what color of OD green, what color of brown, what color of black was on a Bradley or a Humvee or something like that, and you said they all look like that, you are completely and 100% wrong. Cart paint falls off of metal. It does. You know, and I came back from field problems where my first sergeant was screaming at us to get all the dirt off our vehicles, and we would hit the, the, the uh, wash bit. And we would hit those high pressure hoses and we'd rip paint off, chunks of paint off. You know what we did? We went to the shop at, got Krylon green, spray paint, Krylon black and brown, and spray painted our vehicles with Krylon and those, those metal spots. So guess what? They don't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. It does not, not, not one single Bradley in my line or ever Bradley I served in, except if they were, even the, even the desert tan colors were different colors. They're all different colors. And number two, no modern vehicle has any kind of, stowage on the outside i mean picks axes and stuff like that because you know why it gets stolen someone will take it because they're missing their shovel and they need it for their next inspection so they're going to rip your shovel off so we put all our stuff inside because it got ripped off you never see drip pans on top of a vehicle which there always was when you're in the field because every time you stopped your vehicle you had to put your drip pans out because we couldn't get oil into the ground you don't see that you don't see chop blocks that were supposed to be in the, in the field you don't see that so get you know what you can take this right color and stuff like that it just oh it don't get me started about strikers with the freaking wheel on top you know what that i will go all day with you <laughs> on that one you know yes there's a couple pictures of strikers with their wheels on top of their over the engine compartments you know what that's a 500 pound tire you know what you're going to take that off yeah there's a little sling load that you can have put taking that on and off we didn't do that we did not have they have run flats why do you need a spare tire if you have a run flat a run flat is designed to get you out of problem and then you fix it later. And you've got eight tires on a striker. Don't worry about one. 
So uh, just crazy. I'm sorry. I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but this stuff just gets me riled up every freaking time. Listeners, this is when Grant gets passionate. You know, <laughs> the genie's out of the bottle. Yeah, it's just it took I, it took 67 episodes, but he's here now. That's right. Triggered, to party. triggered, triggered by the tire. <laughs> triggered by a tire. I swear to God, yeah. people don't do that. I think all the all you know, you guys have all made great points, and and I would just say, you know, for the sake of argument, if you're listening out there. A lot of people, it's really important that they're using the exact shade of paint. They're using, you know, that they accurize their vehicle and they shave off the bolts and, you know, make, and, and if you want to do that, that's cool too. Uh, we're not telling you don't do that. And we're not telling you that you shouldn't, you know, if you want to maybe do an amps build and you want to be super accurate about it, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And, and we all do you know, those types of builds from time to time. But I think, I think what we're trying to say is you don't have to do that. You know, you yeah. can just, you can just open a box and, and build something for relaxation, for fun as, as a palette for, you know, you to express yourself with your paint and your finish, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, Scott, that's, a, that's a really good, that's a really good point. I, I think it's, it's important that you know, the hobby's pretty small in regards to people and places and things, uh, but it's really big when it comes to expression and there's room for everybody. And like Scott said, I've been hyper accurate on builds before where I've researched down to the minutia of a tiger. And then on others, I'm building a what if Japanese tank captured by the US Marine Corps on mainland Japan. So huge, huge spot for everything. Well, just to kind of wrap this up, JB, I think I think the you know you titled this balancing historical accuracy with artistic interpretation. I think that's I think that first word is really really key here. Man, have have a good time, enjoy this hobby, and and find the right balance that works for you. And if it's all the way to one side or the other, that's cool. You know, as 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 Jensen likes to say, you do you, hun. And if you want to get likes, paint your Panzers Panzer blue. And on that bombshell. We're going to remind everyone, if you want to rep the posse, you can check out our merch page. Many of you have already, and we're extremely thankful for that. You've picked up coffee mugs, t-shirts, jumpers, and even some official PPP lounge trousers. Maybe one day you'll see Ivan and his. You can order this from our stylish Plastic Posse merch store on the web at plastic-posse-podcast.creator-spring.com. I know that was a lot. We'll post in the show notes. And if you swing on by, be sure to pick out your favorite color and rep it at the show. And we're going to wrap this episode up. And I want to thank everybody from our sponsors to our listeners for all their help. They're, they're buying our products and all the great comments we got. Please feel free to reach out to us on our website and our web pages and say hi. Show us pictures of what you're building. Answer our questions that we talked about today. Hey, come on, give us a, you know, give us a shout out. We really appreciate it. And we will listen to you. We have, we have time and we have some space. We'll mention you as a comment. Everything has been fun tonight. I really had a great time. I like the new format. It's been more free, more fun, and a lot more interesting to me. I hate reading, as you guys know, because I will not do the Patreon shout-outs. I'm sorry. I, I screw up everybody's name. But again, I want to say thank you to everybody. It's been really fun. Can't wait for episode 63. And yeah All right. Striker spare that. wheel power right there. <laughs> Let me do that. Let me get my 500-pound wheel on top of my vehicle. That'll, that'll work. <laughs> If you would like to support the Triple P and become a Plastic Posse Outrider, 
go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash Plastic Posse Podcast and set up a recurring donation there. This helps us offset the cost of bringing you the Triple P. There are three different tiers of support starting at just a buck a month. Starting from the top, we have our amazing Deputy Marshals. Ryan Smith, Terry Wilkinson, Chris Lovewell, Andrew Callis, Ethan Adamil, Bruce Bruce the Molodoub, Steve Baker, Eric Dagleish, Joe Porche, Graham Pearson, Patrick Brown, Steve Schaefer, Jay Kidd, Paul Burdett, Brandon Gentry, Robert Klein, Mark Ewing, Ted Kawahara, Josh Orr, John Bryan, Scale Model Hanger, Toad Man, Model Doc, Doug Reed, Greg James, Les Wakala, V Cult 1911, the one and only John Everett, Josh Buck, Black <laughs> Rifle Model Works, Tomas Baniak, Mark Bradley, Zach Pease, Joel Munson, Eric Brubaker, Jeremy Moore, DB Scott Scale Model Studios, Matt Johnson, Jared Cow, Jerry, Jeremy Elliott, Mike Talley, Previous Seat, Mediocre Middle-Aged Modeler, Dan Novel, and JC Osborne. Nailed it. Nice. Our excellent posse foreman, John, Jeremy, Cliff, Rick, Eric, Mike, Alex, Benjamin, Craig, Papa Steve, Logan, Red Beach One, MD Models, The Voice of Bob, JV, P, Toby, Matthew, Matters of Scale, Damien, Kieran, Cody, Papa Mike, Charlie, Tim, Forest Ghost 73, Nuke Man Mike, Greg, Jack, AK Armor, Ash, Irish Pat, Paul, Ibones Models, Mr. Grizz, Jackson, Chris, Lee, Jamie, Steve, and Jethro. We'd also like to thank our posse outriders, including Andrew, Stuart, Cobra Plaw, Scale Model Craft, and many others. Also, we are asking our posse members a favor. Please consider posting a review of the Triple P on the podcast platform of your liking, whether it's on any podcast streaming platform or Facebook. Each five-star review helps us out immensely and exposes the posse to more plastic scale modelers. Also, if you haven't already, please join our Plastic Posse group on Facebook. It's a great place for community interactions, posting your builds, asking questions, or just hanging out with your lovely pals. Has anyone watched the first episode of The Last of Us on HBO? Oh, I want yep. to. It's queued up. No. Really, really oh, good. Really? Yep. Really oh, good. Oh, really man. good. Well, I mean, it's it's Mando and <laughs> Bella Ramsey. They're both great. Um, Pedro Pascal, obviously, is the Mandalorian. Um, oh, it's so good. So I play the video game. It's the reason why I bought a PS4 back in the day, because it's a PS playstation exclusive um it's really good they they knocked out of the park um yeah that's all i mean if you haven't watched it and you don't even have to be like my wife she doesn't play video games she did you know what i mean but she watched the first episode she enjoyed it it's long the first episodes are really long um it's like an hour 40 i don't think they're all going to be that long but i think the first one was that long because they do like a prologue i guess you know before like the outbreak or whatever so they kind of 
set the story up and then they skip to present day. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Do you yeah. do you like it, Grant? Oh, I loved it. I, I thought it was really great. I like the fact that and you don't find out what they look like in the first episode, to tell you the truth. I mean, oh, yeah. You don't. There's nothing in it about, about that. What the what the disease? What happens to you? And just the backstory and the story between the and then jumps to the front. Oh, it's really good. You got to people reach out. Just watch it. You'll love it. You'll yeah. Love so it. you you get to see. Um, they call them runners in yep. the game. So in in the game, there's like it's a it's a brain fungus. Essentially, what it is the one mm-hmm. that like it takes over your brain. It's essentially zombies. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. So like in the game, there's what they call runners, which is like the newly infected, and then there's clickers. I think is what is after that because they click. Yeah. Or, or there's there's like four different ones, and like they get grosser as as yeah. they go. So yeah. yeah, you since the prologue is it's starting, you don't see like the advanced ones yet. So yeah. I think maybe in episode two, I think they're gonna show a clicker, which will be cool because they look gross. Yeah. And then I think bloaters are like the the worst. They're just malformed, disgusting former people. It's gross. But yeah, dude, Pedro Pascal is knocking out of the park again. That dude's so good. He's good at everything he's in. I love that guy. Did you guys see that movie with him and Nicolas Cage, like the unbearable weight of being famous or something where Nicolas Cage played as himself? It's supposed to be really good. I want to see it. I really want to see it, but he looked he looked really good because it's totally not like any of his other roles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I mean, they got really good reviews. So, yeah, that's well, it, truth be told, it's probably one of the movies I watch you know, like when I'm in North Carolina because I don't have anything to do after after I eat dinner. So like I watch Bullet Train, which was pretty cool. That's a great movie. Yeah, I it enjoyed was. it. Yeah, I, did too. I, I liked it. I need to check that one out. It's oh, I mean, on my list too. It's, it's dumb, but it's cool. Yep. Doesn't yeah. seem like it takes itself too seriously. Oh, no. no, no, it doesn't. No. But that's the fun of it too, though. That's yeah. you, you know, you see that it just like I, I loved it. I watched it on yeah. a plane. The twins are great in it. Oh, oh they were <laughs> Lemon and Tangerine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. good. They're the best like part. The fruit. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, they they were awesome. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Um, oh, the dude that played Tangerine, I want to say that was um, oh, what was his name? I recognized him too. I was like, what was he in? And now I now I've like drawn a drawn, drawn a blank. But <laughs> well, he was, one cool. of, was was one of them in the Eternals. Oh, it was Aaron Aaron Taylor Johnson? That's who it was. He um, no, he was Kick Ass. That's who he was in the Kick Ass movies. Yeah, and I, he, apparently he's a front runner for the next 007. Oh wow! And then Lemon Brian Tyree Henry, he was in Eternals. Okay. Oh, and then yeah, um, Aaron Taylor Johnson was also Quicksilver in the MCU, so he was in Age oh, of right. Ultron. Right. So one crazy thing: so Logan Lerman, the son on the train who gets poisoned, that was the kid in Fury. Was it really? Yeah, doesn't look like him at all. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a. I mean, I saw it was on Netflix. I'm like, well, it's like seven thirty, and I literally have nothing to do. Let's watch Bullet Train. It's ridiculous, but great. I just like the fact, like I said, I I just love the fact that it doesn't take itself seriously at all. And you walk into that movie, and you're like, oh well, it it just 
jumps on the front or the back end of a speeding Japanese, you know, train going 200, whatever, how fast they go. You're like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just funny. It was just a good, it was just a good relaxing movie. I, I also really love uh Horiyoki Sonata in it. I mean, he yeah. just plays like when I think of a, like a samurai dude or like, like Japanese badass actor, he comes to mind all the time. Cause he was in, um, he was the guy Hawkeye went after in, yes. in one of, in one in, of the, in, in the end game. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah. He was also in the last samurai, which look, the last samurai, it's a little problematic. It's like literally the white savior like trope made into a movie but you know what it's a pretty damn good movie it's it's, i really yeah. like it yeah i'm not a, i'm not a tom cruise guy but um anytime you have ken watanabe in it i'm there yeah. i'm good yeah. and yeah. i thought it was really good movie i mean yeah like like you said you're you're right well hey st- sticking on pop culture um non-modeling related what are some podcasts that you guys are into i've been like really getting into these like um lost civilizations where it talks about these empires that you know got huge and then all of a sudden in a very you know 20 30 40 years they were just gone you know and uh, i've been really getting into that really finding a lot of a lot of interesting ones on that what are you guys listening to so the only other other than modeling podcasts the only other podcasts there's two that i listen to (laughs) they're both pop culture related the first one is uh, nerd soup like probably my favorite podcast is like younger guys they're in their like late 20s uh, that live in new york and um they're like film buffs like actual film buffs even though they you probably wouldn't get that listening to them talk but um yeah they know their shit so and they um they're they're funny as hell i listen to them and then i listen to mr sunday movies two Australian guys and they are freaking hilarious. They, they both have YouTube channels as well, both these podcasts. So they do videos and podcasts, but yeah, that's other than the modeling podcast. That's all I listen to. Uh, I, I listen to professor Brian Cox a lot, his podcasts and stuff like that, that he does really interesting young guy. Well, not as young as he looks, but he's a younger guy. Uh, just some really interesting. I love math. I don't know why I'm one of those weird people. So, and he talks about math a lot and I find that extremely interesting. Um, so that's what I listen to. There's a couple other ones out there that I'll catch. Um, there's MS, uh, you know, mystery science theater, a couple of podcasting deal with that. Talk about mystery, mystery science theater, 3000, where they're going to play at, when they're playing at. There's a couple of Facebook pages that I follow pretty closely on those. I, I'm a huge mystery science theory. Uh, three thousand fan, huge. That's why, that's why we're friends, Grant. Yep, you know, you know, it's that's that's you can't get any better than that show. Um, and I'm sorry, maybe The Simpsons, but you know, that's that's my favorite. I I I'll be honest, I don't listen to many podcasts. It's unfortunate, but I don't. <clears throat> outside of scale modeling podcasts, I I don't listen to many. And unfortunately, I just don't have the time. I know that's a crappy thing to say, but. Um, you know, Jackson raves about hardcore history. Oh yeah. So good. That's one I'd like to listen to. Um, but I listen to some, I've listened to some professional ones that coworkers have shared with me on kind of industry related stuff, but yeah, it's sad to say I'm not a, I'm not a podcast guy outside of the, uh, outside of the modeling world. The latest hardcore history is so good. It's about sort of, uh, 
the the Viking age when they they got kind of brash and started attacking the the Franks and you know burning and pillaging and taking over towns and all that. It's it's really fascinating. But it's like his podcasts are four or five hours long. I mean, you got to break them up into lots and lots of different pieces. But yeah, hardcore history is the bomb. There's a podcast I listen to, not not hobby related whatsoever. Not not even just our hobbies, hobbies in general. Um, it's called Help I Sexted My Boss. It sounds as stupid as it is. It's it's two completely different types of people. You've got one guy who's a proper common northerner, and then you've got the other guy who's a very posh etiquette coach. Completely different people. And basically people ring in or text in with these really weird, awkward life situations they've got themselves into, hence the title of the podcast. And it's just it's just like it's less than an hour long usually. And it's just it's good to just listen to something that's funny and other people's nonsense and they just like talk about it and laugh about it and they drink gin while they're recording so i was like this is a podcast for me this is really fun (laughs) it's like it's like you paid somebody to make you a podcast yeah it's like i kept i kept seeing the clips on tiktok i've noticed a lot of day uh, a lot of the time now podcasts while they're recording also video record and a lot of the video clips get released to the internet um, I saw a lot of it on TikTok and I was just like, right, everything I've seen so far is funny. Let me actually listen to an episode. And now I'm just going back for all the old episodes. It's like, these are actually really funny. I, I, I thought, because sometimes with these clips, you're like, yeah, you're just taking the best bits and the rest is a bit boring. It's like, no, it's, it's all just really funny. Um, I just like hearing about other people's really awkward situations. It's like, well, at least it's not me. <laughs> like jerry springer for podcasts oh <laughs> yeah yeah we, we, we had one over here jeremy kyle uh the jeremy kyle show he actually went over to the states and did a few shows now and again I, and i'm kind of ashamed now to admit it but i i was in the audience of that show on three occasions oh. just watching just watching people fight and argue and swear at each other and it's proper daytime trash tv at 20 past nine in the morning brilliant <laughs> jeez 